Okay, welcome to another edition of the Edlow Podcast. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And today uh, I have, uh, this is going to be perhaps a cool history lesson in the history of Sacramento wrestling because I've got one of the OGs here. I have Big Ugly J.D. Bishop. It's a pleasure to have you on here, man. Oh, it's great to be here, man. Thanks. Uh, I'm a big fan of the show, and uh, thanks for finally having me on. Yeah, yeah, man. It's it's crazy to think. It's. Uh, I was talking to Flacco about this. It's so cool to see. I mean, when we started around here, I mean, you know, I was I was around the scene. I've been around the scene since the beginning, and so have you. Um, it's cool to see how the independent wrestling scene has flourished and is finally kind of caught on here in Northern California. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, when we when we first started, it was kind of, you know, you you had the comp- the companies in the Bay Area, and that was about it. And then mm-hmm. uh, trying to get into those companies was, you know, almost impossible. Um, mm-hmm. So when it started here, it was basically SPW. And then mm-hmm. once in a while, somebody would throw a show for whatever reason was. And then uh, mm-hmm. just over time, man, it just started it started booming, you know, started yeah. getting really big. And now it's there's like four or five companies just within Sacramento. Yeah. Well, and what I think is so cool about that, though, is that back in the day, I mean, even like when I was running SWF in the 2008, 2012, you know, a lot of places were just excited to get a hundred people to show up. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? And and like now, it is not out of the. It's not uncommon to see three, four, five hundred people at a show, even. And there are some that are even drawn in the thousands. And I just think that that's that's such a. We I don't think we could have imagined that back in two thousand eight when I when I started as you know SWF. And I know SPW had been around for a long time. And so just cool to see how it's flourished and see a bunch of guys who you know it used to be that this was like you know i remember uh joe applebaum or big you know uh i can't remember what he calls himself now but oh right yeah Yeah, coach nugs coach joey here you know i remember him saying that this place was a ghost town you know nobody nobody ever gets seen here and now there's lots of people getting that getting looks including your son yeah yeah it's you know when we first started like you know we were kind of uh not to use foul language but uh the bastard stepchild of pro wrestling around here you know <laughs> yeah. like people just didn't want nothing to do with our area it was all about the bay area and apw and uh btw and those were the big dogs those are the ones bringing in you know the japanese guys and you know all the indie guys basically everybody you see on the end uh, or wwe now and aew uh, aj styles and all them were doing like the king of indies and stuff uh when we started like uh i had a little bit of heat with uh the owner of apw roland so we were kind of like blackball. Like I couldn't use any of those guys. So I kind of had to make my own stars and my own uh, build up my my own roster of people. And uh, basically, we just after we formed and then uh, in Stockton, they were running a company there. And then we worked with PCW a little bit, and we kind of started branching off to other things. Uh, uh, the uh, brawl opened up in Antioch and uh, we were kind of affiliated with everybody. And then we just started booming and guys started getting work and going all over the country. But uh, yeah, at the, in the beginning, man, it was really, really rough just to, to draw numbers. And uh, at the time, uh, SPW, Rich Roby was the promoter and the owner when I came aboard. And I know you were friends with him as well. And uh, Rich, you know, he comes from a, a hip hop background, not a wrestling background. So uh, me and him working together was rough at first. All, you know, we were good friends, but his idea of, of promoting was just way different than mine. And uh, some nights we would draw well, some nights we were, you know, a little light at the door, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Uh, 
I had to use a lot of my students and I got rid of a lot of the guys who were there before me. And um, we just uh, started doing basically to separate ourselves from everybody else. We started doing a lot of death matches and hardcores and stuff like that. And uh, I think that really, although it hurt us in the end, it really helped us in the beginning. Yeah. Well, let me let me back up a little bit. And I want to kind of go over this chronologically, because I got to tell you, you know, it's interesting. Um, and we'll get into the beginnings of SPW quite a bit because I have my own perception of that and you do too. And, and we were all there at the beginning and then I left, I was gone for two years and I came back and Rich was gone and you were running things. And I saw that, like it became a hardcore place. And a lot of the guys, I mean, in, in the two years, and I think this is just natural from wrestling, but a lot of the guys that were there at the beginning, uh, even some of your students, you know, like I remember baby Ray and Mike Daniel and, uh, Wicked and Jesus and all those guys, but a lot of them by the time I had come back had already gone, you know, yeah. um, and it was like a whole new crew. But before we get into that, what tell me where the heat came from with APW and Roland? Uh, when I when I was training with uh, APW, um, I I was at at this point I was working in Nevada at a boys ranch, so I'd go up there for a week and then come back for a week. That was my my. Uh, my schedule. I'd be in Nevada at the, on on the site at the boys' ranch for a week, Wednesday to Wednesday, and then come home. The APW school was for beginners was Wednesdays and Sundays. So what I would do is I had built up enough time, so I would it was out there in Shores, Nevada, which is five hours from Sacramento. I would I would go in late on Wednesday, use some holiday pay, go to train, and drive all the way to Shores, Nevada, to work until Sunday, take the day off, drive all the way back to Hayward to train. And that drive all the way back to work to finish my week, my shift out. And so there was a couple of times where like my car broke down and just small things where I had a, I couldn't make it that day. So I came to open gym and, you know, yeah, you try to make it up. Uh, Roland didn't like that, of course, because he said, I'm not dedicated. Um, and I was fine with it, whatever. I'm still going to continue to go. And as I progressed down towards the second beginner's camp that he made me go through, I uh, slipped a disc in my back. And I told him, look, dude, like, I need to take two weeks off. This was right before we did heat night. We did everything. I was like, I need to take two weeks off. I can't bump. My doctor won't let me in. He's like, oh, no problem, problem. After those two weeks happen, he recycles me again for a third beginner's camp. And I'm like, dude, like, if you would have just told me, I would have just sucked it up for the two weeks and just went to deal with the pain, you know. And he made me go through beginners again. And then the third time it was beginner's camp and then one semi-pro camp. After that, uh... He basically was putting other people on the shows and stuff, and I was just training, setting up the ring and doing all the, you know, all the stuff beginners do, while other guys who weren't there as long were doing stuff on the shows already. And I was just like, dude, I can't deal with this anymore. This is, you know, and even Mike Modest was telling me, dude, you need to get the fuck out of here. Like, he goes, you need to leave. He's like, for some reason, Roland doesn't like you. And I was just like, well, what do I do? And he's like, just go find somewhere else to train. So at that point, I just looked around the internet and found NAW in Fresno, um, but ran by Brian Ward. And um, went and started training up there. And within two months, I was doing shows, you know, because mm -hmm. I already had a good foundation. But for some reason, Roland just didn't like me. And then after I had left, you know, of course, he was putting out there that I'm a, I'm a backyarder, I'm untrained. And then he was on the flip side trying to sue me for breach of contract because I went and trained somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So when we finally had went, to, uh, when we finally had getting ready to go to court because he, he was trying to sue me, the attorney I had just printed out all the things he, he posted about me on the message board. And then the lawsuit saying that I'm trained, that I was trained there, but he's saying that I'm not trained. So there was kind of like a defamation of character. So he just decided mm. to drop everything and then just try to blackball me. 
and did whatever mm -hmm. he could to shut down my shows and not let his guys work for me. And uh, just any, any chance he could just, you know, bash me because I was kind of proving him wrong that you could make it by not going to APW. You know, you could still make mm -hmm. it in the business because, you know, when you go, when you were there, and I'm sure many of the guys who went will tell you, like, you bought in, I mean, you drunk the Kool-Aid. It was like, yeah. you were, this is the only place that you can make it here. And at this point, mm -hmm. Modest was on uh, WCW, so we're all thinking, holy shit, we're going to be, you know, stars, you know, because we're drinking the Kool-Aid, yeah. you know. And uh, when you go out and do, you find out that, you know, you're out of that bubble, that there is other ways to do it, other ways to go about it. He didn't like that because I was really proving him wrong, and he just tried to do whatever he could to shut me down. And I didn't really, you know, fire back because we were flourishing at SPW, you know. So yeah. every time, every time he's bashing me, people are peaking more interest. So I was like, "Go ahead, keep bashing me," you know, like. Yeah. And, he, and it and it and it in some part, when we started doing the deathmatch stuff, it really pissed him off because we yeah. were drawing good numbers. So I kept doing it because you know that's just, I just my mentality, you know. So uh, I had me guys like me and Dante and Handsome Jack and Clint Douglas and these guys were. Uh, and Legend and these guys, we were just doing all this crazy deathmatch stuff, and we just fell in love with it. We loved doing it, you know, and it really just helped us. But uh, from that from that point on, until like right before he passed, he just had heat with me, you know. For mm -hmm. and I think a lot of it was just business, you know. Um, but whatever, I mean, I was I was doing fine. I was living my dream. I ran a company. I ran a school, and I was happy, you know. Right. You know, it's interesting you, you bring that up because I got to tell you, so uh, I remember the first SPW show. Well, before we go into that, let me ask you, how did you get a hold of Rich Roby? You know, the funny thing, uh, when we were training, me and my buddy, uh, we tr started training at NAW, and we, uh, we did one one show up in um, at some casino up in uh, Fresno somewhere. I'm sure one of the guys, Dante, didn't remember, but it was some show up there. And it's funny because I actually ran into a lot of the APW guys there. Uh, that's a whole mm. other story, though. But uh, we after we had done that show the next week and there was a taping of WCW at um, the old Arco Arena and we took our mm -hmm. wives to go because we were just, you know, we, we were we had just graduated and we were fans of wrestling still. So we took him and he came up and handed us a flyer in the parking lot and we looked at mm -hmm. it. And we were like, hey, we just finished training like we just we just got done with our training. We would like to you know what's it going to take to get us on your card. And he's like, oh, my God, you guys are from Sacramento, blah, blah. And uh, he's like, hey, give me a call. I'll get you guys booked. So uh, we called him, and he's like, yeah, come on down to the show next weekend. We'll get you guys booked. And uh, he's like, everything will be great. And I was like, all right, cool. So we show up. And uh, I remember it was the day before my birthday. It was April 24th. And uh, Roland's there. And Vinny was there. Boyce yeah. LeGrand was there. Vinny, was he, Billy Valentino or something like that. And yeah. a couple other guys were there. And um, uh, Roland told him, if Gabe's on your show, we're, we're leaving that we won't do the show of Gabe's here. So Rich came up to me. He's like, look, man, I, I have to have these guys on the show. I have nobody else. And if you just have faith in me, I'll get rid of them and I'll bring you guys back next month. So, you know, a part of me is like, yeah, whatever, dude, you know, no, no big deal. But then I kind of think like, oh, I'll play the game. You know, I have nothing else going on. Let me, let me and, ask you a question uh, on that. Let me ask you a question on that real quick. Cause I remember, so I was, I was there for, I can't remember how many shows I was there for, but, this is not the one that Schizo ran. This is the actual SPW show, right? This yeah, is the, the one where Cooley was the booker, right? Yeah, I came in. The first show I did for SPW, uh, Cooley was booking. Uh, Schizo had just left. So Jim yeah. took over the booking. And I think it was like two shows where Cooley was booking. And yeah. then and then he was gone. Yeah. But it was, so, it was right right then. It was right because uh, Cooley was working with APW a little bit. Yeah. And uh, so he had brought those guys in. And that was kind of the downfall with him and Rich. 
Right. So, so the show, cause I remember I was on, I was on three or four of the first shows and, yeah. uh, and so, uh, I'm trying to remember the first show with the, I remember the show that the, like Jardy France was on it. Boyce LeGram was on it. Yeah. Uh, they had a couple other guys on there as well. Uh, but I thought you were on that. Maybe you weren't on that show. You were on the one where we were coming in. That rem- that that reminds me. So the first one, you weren't on that one, but you were on the next one. Because here's what I remember about you. This is the first time I met you. I brought the ring up to. Uh, I brought the ring from the Stockton guys mm. up to my house. We I was a backyarder. I was. They were all backyarders too, and we all came together yeah. and we did a backyard show, and then we took the ring to the colonial for your, for the SPW show the next night. And we were all on that show too. That probably, yeah. that probably fueled Roland's fire why you guys were all backyarders. Cause you had a yeah. bunch of backyarders on the show. And so, but, but the thing was, was that, uh, I remember your match, you kid Looney, right? You were yeah. kid Looney that first match. Yeah. And I remember because, you know, we had guys like hustler on there and Warpath and all these guys who looked big wrestlers. But when you guys went out there, um, it was clear to me as someone watching the matches, you guys were on another level. You know what I mean? Like I, I saw you guys, I could, the fact that that was your, that was your first match, right? Yeah. That was my first match. Yeah. And like that, the fact that that was your first match, it was, it got the biggest reaction on the card. And yeah. I, and then, and then uh, we had professor Poindexter and, and Dante and, uh, and and that one had a good one too. And then you know that was the whole issue with Cooley and Dante, which I I find hilarious at this point. But, yeah, <laughs> you know uh, that whole story where. So for people who are listening, I'll just show the show the story from my perspective. You can you can add in. What I found really funny was um, so Cooley for whatever reason he obviously had a problem with you guys coming in because you know he was with he was buddies with the APW guys and he was buddy with yeah. with uh, the posse eight ball posse so. He was kind of bummed that you guys were coming in. And so he gave you guys your time, but then he cut like two minutes in. He called to go home for Dante and uh, Dante just didn't listen. They did their match. And so he came back and he wanted to kick every, you know, Dante told Cooley where he could go and uh, he tried to kick him out. And then he tried to kick you out and you're like, I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) And that that was, and that was the end of that for you. Um, what happened after that with like, what did you guys say when, when Dante left, uh, what, what, well, what did you guys like for, for me, it was never like about Cooley. Cause I, I, I was, I'm, I'm under the same mentality. Like if I'm the booker, I say, go home, we better go the fuck home. Right. But Dante is my boy. We train together and he's like my, my brother. So of course I'm going to have his back. And what, sure. what happened, he got, he got fucked over. Like he, he really, they just, I think they fucked him over just because they thought he would. There would be no response. He was just a new kid, skinny little redhead, fucking ginger. Mm-hmm. That he's not gonna do nothing. But that ain't mm-hmm. Dante. Dante is fucking crazy. Like, he's one of the craziest guys I've met in the business. Like legitimately, yeah. like, it's not the first time. Like I would have had to pull him off somebody. He's fucking. He doesn't. The, the shit's not wired right. You know, I love the guy <laughs> to death. You know, but he's he has, he's he, he's not afraid to throw the first punch. To put it that way. Um, so I was, of course, siding with him, but I was just like, you're not going to kick me. I'll do like Rich. Rich booked me. You know, Rich is the right. fucking owner. I was just like, yeah. and you know, I was good. At this point, I became good friends with, with Coach Nugs. And I was just like, you know, this is, you're, you're mad at him and he's my friend. You're taking it out on me. Like, what the fuck? Like, 
So yeah. uh, it, that's when I guess him and Rich started having some problems, you know, and uh, yeah, and I was just like, dude, this is ridiculous. But this place is legitimately ten minutes from my house, so I don't want to leave. <laughs> right, <laughs> <You know? laughs> right, yeah. Well, that was what was, and that was what I like me sitting there watching because I was just in, I was just excited that there was a place, a pro place where we could really, you know, because me, I trained it with Oliver John, you know, for yeah. two months. And then I was getting bookings, little places here and there, but the bookings that I was getting, it was just because I was huge. And I also had all the TV, you know what I mean? Like all the news yeah. people because of my backyard stuff. So, so I was out there working and, and doing things, but, but yeah, I was just excited. I was like, Oh, finally a place where we could actually do something, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think the the Stockton guys were of the same ilk. Like when I talked to baby Ray and Mike Daniels and, and Jesus and all those guys, like we were all just like finally a place where we could really train. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, you know, and then I left. So, so maybe you can tell me, uh, educate me on how the transition away from Rich came to you being the booker. Cause I left and Rich was like, we'll be here when you get back, you know, everything will be the same. And then I came back and Rich was gone and he had passed away. And yeah. you, you had run, run, uh, you started running it. So maybe you can tell me kind of how that transition occurred. When, when I first got asked to book, it was, I think it was right after him and Jim had a falling out and he mm. had nobody else to, mm. to do anything. And he knew if he was going to hire, like, you know, like probably like Bill, big money or one of those guys, they were going to fire all of us, you know, mm. because it was the old guard didn't like the new guard, the new guard didn't like, the old, you know, that's just the way wrestling works. Um, so I think he was just like, he asked me, he's like, Hey, you know, you're kind of in the middle of both of them. The older guys like you, the young kids respect you. Uh, you want to try booking? And I'm like, not really. I, I don't know how to fucking book. I, I'm greener than shit. You know, like I don't right. know what I'm doing about booking angles. And I didn't even know how to write a card out at the time, you know? And uh, he just mm-hmm. like, he's basically telling me, look, man, I, I, I have no other option. And then uh, he's like, well, I'm like, well, you know, just book this show. We'll see how it goes. And then, you know, we'll talk after. And then he, he booked the show and it was just awful. Like nothing made sense. And, you know, there was, <laughs> you know, 10 run-ins. And this was back when we were, the locker room was on top of the snack bar. So we were like running yeah. through the aisle. It was just, it was just really bad. And yeah. I said, okay, bro, well, if you're going to have me book, I got to come in as an owner, part owner, because I need to have more control over what's going on. So he brought me in as a, as an owner, booker. And then we, he worked out a deal with the Stockton guys and said, Hey, we'll train you guys if you give us the ring for free and then we'll get you guys some matches on the shows. So he basically whored me out <laughs> to, to train these guys. And I was even telling at the point, I said, listen, I, I know how to coach football and do martial arts. I've been, I trained martial arts for years. I don't know how to train wrestlers. Like I've, I've been out of graduated for like six months. And what he told me was like, yeah, but you know more than them. So just bring them in. We just got to get the ring. We only got to use a couple of their guys. And, so it was kind of a trade-off, and then I just got really into training them, and I, I was having so much fun. They were learning. Then I started going like to L.A., and I would go down there with uh, uh, Jesse Hernandez and train a little bit, and uh, I just started going wherever I can to learn more about wrestling, about to, mm-hmm. to train off guys who've been there, you know. And if, any seminar that came up, I drive to. I mean, I'm just driving all over the place. Like the first, the first time I went to Oregon wasn't to wrestle; it was to do a training seminar that uh, I think it was Quackenbush had one, and I was a huge fan of Quackenbush. And I, so I went just to watch, to, to be a part of that. And I just did like a lot of things like that. I was just, you know, trying to make myself the best trainer I could. And um, I ended up taking over the book and booking mm-hmm. for a while. Um, about, I think when I said about a year and a half, uh, Rich kind of started backing away a little bit. He, he got in, uh, him and his wife were going through some trouble. And uh, there was a big drama where 
you know, me and him didn't have a falling out, but he just stopped caring about SPW. So he mm-hmm. missed the show and then he wouldn't come like to training and to just hang it, wouldn't return my calls. And then what it ended up happening was him and his wife had a falling out. She told him that me and her were messing around. Ooh. And uh, so of course he was fucking he had he with me and I didn't know none of this, you know. Mm-hmm. And then finally one day he came by the colonial and he's like, Hey, I need we need to talk. And I'm like, and I'm like, I missed the guy, you know. And we just yeah. started talking and he told me he's like, you know, I think it was going on with him and Maria was her name. And um he's like, She even said that you guys messed around. I was like, What the fuck? What do you mean? And mm-hmm. um and I was just like, Rich, you know, that's Dan was not true. I was I was happily married with my wife. We had, you know, uh, had the kid, but we just had I think Salem at the time and uh it was just like I, I was. He goes, I know. I was just, you know, all this stuff was going on, and so I just had to stay away. And I was like, oh, that's understandable, bro. And so we talked a little bit. He wanted to come back in and manage, and then like, uh, no shit, like a month and a half later, he passed away. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and he he was, I guess he, because he was having a lot of health problems. He went into the hospital, and um, I forgot which one it was, like some county or something. But uh, they had a, uh, they're giving him blood or something. And whatever the thing, the artery was in popped out and it was underneath him and he kind of bled out. Mm-hmm. So um, he passed away because of that. And uh, I remember at the funeral, they had me do the eulogy. And then I finally had talked to his ex-wife and she apologized. She, uh, you know, she was just frustrated. She knew that would piss him off, you know, and all this stuff. Yeah. It was all forgiven, you know, and I gave his kids a big hug. And, you know, so it was it was, you know. A sad ending, but it was good that we got to close those ties before he passed away, you know, and I got to see him again one more time. But, uh, yeah, so that's basically what happened after he passed. I, I was already I was already in charge. And the the day he passed, the owner of the Colonial, Hewitt, said, hey, um, the, I'm sorry, the last show he booked for us it was a, <laughs> during Christmas time, and he didn't promote it at all. And this is like this is right. I'm sorry, this is right before I had taken over completely. He uh, didn't promote it at all. So we had six people in the building. Oh, and that's not, I'm not, not including wrestlers, girlfriends, and kids and stuff, but there were six paid in attendance. And I remember mm-hmm. I, had my, I had my old VHC camera, and I'm out there going, this is what happens when you're not promoted, blah, blah. And then that's when he stopped showing up after that show. So Hugh was telling me, you know, we got to regroup. We have to do something. I, he goes, I, he goes, we may not have wrestling here anymore. And mm-hmm. so uh, it was back in, that was December and February, we regrouped, and I contacted um, uh, XPW. Because um, they had, of course, they were, Coach Nuggs was there as Pogo the Clown. And we brought in like Supreme and Joey Chaos and uh, uh, D and um, I, forget, I think I think Angel came down a couple times and uh, we we had like 400 people in that building that show it just blew up mm-hmm. and then we were like well let's keep rocking rocking and then we just started rolling from there but yeah we were basically one like one show away from just shutting down completely there you know wow man crazy you know go away for two years and all that stuff happens and that's yeah. That's nuts, man. You know, and and that's it. I'm glad that you kept it going because we all, we all. I remember, you know, all that stuff that was going on between like Cooley and Schizo, and you know, because I was there for all of that. I mean, I was the first guy. You know, I don't know if you know this. I, I don't know if we ever talked about this, but so my me meeting Rich Roby went like this. I was doing the backyard stuff. I had gotten a lot of like, you know. Sacramento B and all the radio stations and all the TV stations were coming out because backyard wrestling was hot at that point. And, uh, and so I was the backyard guy. And so rich calls me and he goes, Hey, uh, I'm putting together a pro wrestling promotion. And I'd heard other promoters call me and do that before. And it was never like a legit thing. You know what I mean? It was always something stupid or somebody saying they had a ring and then I'd go in there and it was like a stick in the ground with a bunch of wire. You know what I mean? It wasn't real. 
So I said, well, how do I know that you're real? And he said, you know, meet me at this address. And I went down there and I, you know, it was in Stockton Boulevard. And I was like, that's not a great spot. <laughs> so I got like my big, I got my biggest friends. <laughs> it was like, we're going down there. Right. And so we go down there and he, he walks us in there and he says, I want to put wrestling in here once a month. Can you help me? And, you know, cause Rich didn't know what he was doing. Right. So he was yeah. like, can you, can you book it? And I was like, I, no, you know, I, mean? I was like, I've, yeah. I've only done like two months of training and none of these guys I'm working with have any training at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I was like, that's when I, I actually went to hustler and cause I'd met hustler after Ollie had moved to LA, I'd met hustler and he wanted to train me. And I was like, not a good, idea. I was like, that's not a good idea, you know? And, uh, yeah. and so, but I, I knew him from hard time billiards. So I went over to talk to him and that's how Cooley got the book. Because I introduced Rich oh, okay. to Hustler, who were at, at Hustler hooked him up to Cooley because Hustler didn't want to book anything. He just wanted to wrestle. Yeah. So that's how Cooley got involved. And then, well, before it was Cooley, he got Schizo involved. And, dude, that yeah. was that was the biggest mess ever. Oh, my yeah. gosh. He was just, I mean, because I knew him from Ollie, from, from Ollie's, uh, you know, from Pro I Am. And he was always kind of a little off. You know, you talk about Dante, something's not wired right. Neither is, neither was Schizo, you know? And, um, and so they had a big falling out because I had gotten, um, I had gotten Fox 40 to come and do a show. Schizo had the book. We were using Schizo's ring and I had gotten Fox 40 to come and do a profile on me. And the idea was like backyarder goes pro type, mm-hmm. type of thing to promote the show. So when I walk in, Schizo is so mad that I have the TV there and he's like, I don't want backyarders on my show, blah, 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 blah. If he's on the show, no, you know, you want to do something on this, but if he's on it, no. So the Fox 40 left. And so, and then same thing, Roby, Rich was like, I can't have you on the show, man. He's my booker and he, you know, he's going to walk with the ring. I can't. So I didn't work the show. I was like, that's, that's fine. And I walked out and they, they didn't draw well at all on that one. And so that's when they brought Cooley in and Cooley was like, yeah, man, because he wasn't really at that point. He hadn't been trained really at all either. He spent like a cup of coffee at APW and then stole their stole stole their address book with all the names, phone numbers in it. Yeah. So so um, so, yeah. And so anyway, but then, you know, I'm the one who initially uh, contacted the Stockton guys because I heard they had a ring. They were another backyard promotion and we all went down there. So it was just really kind of everything kind of fit together because we were all I remember talking to all those guys and us all just being like, we finally have a place that Mm -hmm. like we can that we can build something exciting that all every backyarder has a dream of taking their backyard promotion pro. Yeah. Like what TWF did, you know? Yeah. And so it was just kind of cool that you were there to kind of pick up those reins and make it what it was, you know, who who. uh, well, before we go more into that, I want to go back and ask. So you you played football and you did martial mm. arts. Yeah. Tell me more about where you grew up and how you that came about. I, I originally grew up in Tracy, California. Uh, mm. I basically lived there till I was six, sixth grade is when I moved up here. Mm. And it was just, it uh, wasn't a great environment. You know, I'll, mm. I'll start by saying that. It's, I don't know if you know about the Tracy Stockton area. It's Yeah, I uh, do. Bad and my my brother, my older brother, um, was really into the North Daniels. He's uh, really into mm-hmm. into the gang, and mm-hmm. that's basically kind of where all my family leaned towards and kind of, you know, went towards. And um, 
about in sixth grade, I remember I just, one day I just told my mom, you know, I want to move to SAC with my dad. I just, hmm. I just felt there was a dead end. Like I wasn't doing nothing. I would walk to school every day, come home and they would be hanging out in the streets. You know, my mom worked mm-hmm. several jobs, you know, to, to make ends meet. And uh, I just wanted to go, to go stay there, you know? And uh, I went, I came up to Sacramento with my dad and I mean, my dad was out of my life for a lot of years. You know, I think mm-hmm. fourth or fifth grade, he finally came back into my life, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, uh, so I came up here, I come up here a couple weekends. I remember what they're drawing, the, they, they, the key factor in me wanting to come up here was when he would pick me up on the weekends, he picked me up every time, uh, TC Martin was bringing WWE to the Memorial Auditorium. Yeah. Uh, my first, my first exposure to wrestling was at the auditorium. And I remember he brought me up here the first time and we went and I just was in awe. I just was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. I uh, went yeah. back home, and that's all I talked about was wrestling. So he'd bring me up every month when the loop would hit, and we'd go watch that. And a lot of roller derby too uh, was, yeah. was big at the time. You know, where were uh, they? Where were they doing that? Were they still doing that at that roller rink over by the drive-in? No, it's in the it was in the auditorium. Oh, they were doing it in the memorial. Yeah, yeah, oh, it was the moon, and they're on the on the the floor right there on the basketball court. Right, right. The, the reason why we would find out about that is because we go to wrestling. They'd have flyers up for the roller derby. So yeah. that would you'd be this is the next time you're coming up. So it was basically like happened where it's like almost every two weeks I was there was something going on. You know, one of the other was going on. So uh, that just became my my way I would bond with my dad. He'd bring me up here for that. And uh I remember just one day I was sitting at home, it was like Thanksgiving Day, and I just told my mom, I want to go with my dad, dude. I just I just was done. Like I, there was nothing for me down there in, in uh Tracy, you know. Wow. My cousins were all little thugs and you know, all my friends were little thugs and uh, I just came up here and the first weekend I came up, he put me into martial arts. Um, mm. and I was like, this is cool, you know, and where we, where mm. we lived was in what's called Southport here in West Sac. And, mm. uh, it's the kind of situation where we're so far out there where you don't go to the store, you go to town because mm. there's no stores out there. So you have to, <laughs> like, you can't walk right. up to the store. You got to drive a couple miles into town, you know? So I didn't have nowhere to get in trouble, like to, to mm. do nothing stupid, you know, um, mm. be a little banger or nothing like that. Uh, so Saturdays he'd take me to karate. I'd stay there for like four hours and train. Uh, he'd go buy me food, take me back home. Him and my stepmom would come back to town and, you know, go to the bar and stuff. And I'd be at home watching DVDs of wrestling or the DVDs of VHSs of, of wrestling and uh, the martial arts uh, Saturday matinees. And I would mm. just do that every Saturday. That was my Saturday and Sunday was watching football, you know, and uh, kind of just calmed me down and, you know, really, really taught me to be independent and alone and um, be productive, you know, so I would because I was doing martial arts, I was constantly training martial arts, punching my heavy bag and just doing push-ups and sit-ups and just everything I could to uh, to be a better martial artist, you know, and then watch mm-hmm. wrestling because I loved it. And uh, that just became my, my thing, man, um, doing that until I got into high school. You know, it was, it was all about watching wrestling and, and doing martial arts. So in those days when, well, first of all, what, what form of martial arts were you doing? It's called Kyokushin. Mm-hmm, okay. Um, and, uh, we, we, we started at, towards the end there, we started dabbling in a little bit more Kung Fu based. And then, uh, one of my, uh, senpai, he, uh, he started getting into jujitsu, which I didn't know what the fuck that was at the time. And it was just, right. what the hell that? that's like a ninja stuff, you know, uh, I was just totally into, to, to fighting, to, to stand up martial arts, kick. it was kind of like just karate doing tournaments yeah. and doing all that stuff. And I, I, I excelled in that a lot. Like I did really well on that when a lot of tournaments mm-hmm. had a couple state titles and, uh, was really big with AAU for uh, my, my weight division or my age division. Mm. And mm. Um, once I got into high school, I got into other things like football and stuff. So kind of just stopped really worrying about martial arts. But 
uh, yeah, that's just, just basically what, what my life was, was that. And I had really nothing else to do, you know? Yeah. So when you were watching wrestling back then, I mean, those shows at the Memorial Auditorium, those are just generally house shows. I mean, who were the guys that you loved watching the most? And the first card I went to, uh, the first guys I was exposed to was the, um, the Walt Simones versus the Moondogs. Oh, and man, I that'd have been I was, awesome. I was just sitting there going like, are you kidding me? These guys are terrifying. Both sides, both guys are terrifying. They were both just like, man, these guys like want to kill, kill them, kill these people out here. You know, none of them mm. talked. They were just all grunting and groaning. And uh, I was just so entertained. The second match was, I think it was Tony Gurria versus B. Brian Blair. Um, like I said, I'm pretty much know the whole card. The third match is the one that would go on to be like, probably my favorite match ever, even though I only remember a little bit about it was Rocky Johnson versus Roddy Piper. Uh, oh, was, was just, I, I watched that and I was just telling my dad, that guy is an asshole. Like I, Roddy Piper was just a total asshole. Like and here you got this big black dude just coming in fast, pop, pop, throwing these punches and Roddy just coming in, pop, eye poking up, you know, just, it was the, yeah. like the, one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life. And Jimmy Snooker was on that card. Uh, I think he wrestled uh, Volkoff and then I, the main was Hogan and stud. And oh, that, wow. was, that was really one that drew me in was Hogan because like, I looking back now, like the only thing I remember about that match is when H- Stud does this and Hogan goes like he's gonna press him and the place went ape shit. And like I didn't mm-hmm. even know what was going on at the time, you know. And yeah. I was just like, man, listening to all these people just chant, you know, and just cl- I was just like, man, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I was just so hooked, like so hooked from that. that experience. You know, you know, it was crazy about the so Hulk Hogan. So my first match was at the Arco Arena. What years were those? By the way, those memorial shows probably 85 86 something like around there it was it was right when i moved up here in sixth grade or i think seventh grade is when they had the first wrestlemania the closed circuit we watched it on closed circuit at arena at at yeah yeah so uh i remember seeing wrestlemania two and three at the old arco arena Mm -hmm. but before that my first show at the old arco arena i don't remember any of the matches other than the main event i think i was maybe four years old maybe five but it was uh, the Bulldogs versus the Dream Team in a cage. Oh, and wow. And they, I mean, they beat the tar out of each other. I mean, mm-hmm. like, it was it was so, it was so crazy. Everybody's bleeding. Yeah. And I just, uh, and yeah, it was, it was just, I, my voice, lost my voice. Memorial <laughs> Auditorium, though, Memorial Auditorium is such a good venue for wrestling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, man, that, it's, it's such a, I, I, I saw TC Martin ran some of those world, I think they called them like World Wrestling Council or National Wrestling Council shows. Council, yeah. yeah, in the late 90s with Sabu yeah. and all that. Did you, did you go to any of those shows? No, I didn't go to any of those shows. Oh, no. man. I went I went to one, and it was Jake the Snake. Jake the Snake and Coco Beware against Greg Valentine and the Honky Tonk Man. And Jake was just blitzed out of his mind. And, uh, <laughs> and, and Honky carried the match. Yeah. Uh, and so it was pretty awesome. But anyway, so so you get into martial arts. Do you go to a high school in West Sac? What school did you go to? Yeah, uh, River City. River City High School. No kidding. And so you ended up yeah. coaching out there. Yeah, I was right? pretty much part of that school's damn near 25 years from yeah. the old campus to the new campus. Yeah, I, I, I graduated in 91, and then I went to the military for a year and a half, came back, started coaching. Man. So it was almost close to 25 years where I was a coach there. Wow. So now you go to the military. What branch? I was Army. Okay. And so uh, what prompted you to do that? Just because I, I didn't know what else to do with my life. You know, like I was mm. saying, I, I, I was heavily into martial arts. And uh, 
but I mean, you at that time you really couldn't make a living off of it, you know. And it, it was mm-hmm. just was like, you know, the Kung Fu magazines, karate magazines. But those guys are all like world class fighters, you know. And I was getting, like I said, I got really into football, and uh, mm-hmm. I was supposed to go to Humboldt. So I got into supposed to. I got an offer to go to Humboldt State. Uh, went there in a summer camp, got into some trouble, and uh, they no longer wanted to recruit me. So mm-hmm. I was like, I can't go to a Division One school and play football. You know, um, mm-hmm. and at this point, like when I was in high school, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to read off all the accolades, you know, put myself over, but uh, I was a pretty good offensive lineman and I was only 165 pounds. Like I was mm-hmm. a small lineman. Like when mm-hmm. we had the um, the all-star game, I was the smallest guy on the team. And I mean, mm-hmm. by a long shot, like I think the kicker was a little lighter than me, but he was taller than me. But all the linemen, mm-hmm. like I looked like a dwarf next to him because they're just all mm-hmm. you know, 275, you know, 285 and here comes this 165 pound lineman from West Sacramento, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so after, after I had, they sent me home from camp. Um, I was kind of like, I didn't, don't know what to do with myself. Like, what, what do I do now? Like I, I was planning on playing football the rest of my life, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. just, you know, being a, being a college student and graduating, getting my degree and hopefully playing in the NFL or something, you know? And, uh, now I'm smarter to, to know that I, but that was a long shot. But at the time, you know, you're thinking, Hey, I can make it. Uh, so I was just, I was just sitting at home and I was just like, you know what, I'm going to give this, the military a shot. And I picked Mm -hmm. the army because it was the first, the first recruiting office that I saw. Mm -hmm. And I remember it was over there off of Arden where, uh, the comedy, what is punchline or something is whatever the comedy club it is. It was right underneath there. And I was just the first one I knew where it was. So I went and talked to the guy. And uh, he's like, yeah, we'll get you in there to MIPS and blah, blah. And then, and then it was history. I was off in like six yeah. months to a boot camp or basic training. Wow. And so you spent, you said you spent about a year and a half out there. What happened with that? Yeah. I, during basic, I blew my knees out. Mm. And then uh, I finally made it through my PT test. Cause I was, that was, that was holding me back from going to my duty station mm. and, uh, or from my next, cause we were what's called OSIT, which one station unit training. So after after basic, I finally passed. Then they sent me to jump school for eighty. So I was going to be a paratrooper, and mm. on the final jump, I blew my knees out again. Mm. So I graduated, got my blood wings and everything, and they took me to the doctors and they shot my knee up with this dye. And they're like, "Dude, you have no cartilage in your knees." Um, mm. I was like, "Okay, so what does that mean?" And they go, "We can do this, we can do that, or you can just deal with the pain." And I was like, "Well, you know, let's just deal with the pain and see what happens." And uh, my all my unit left. They all they all went to uh, North Carolina. And um, mm. before Bragg, so I was about six months behind them. And when I finally had passed my physical and my knees, I could make it through my two mile run. They sent me down there. They all had shipped out. So I was basically on post by myself, one by myself. But, you know, in my little my little uh, company, there was four of us there while the mm. unit was gone. And we were basically answering phones for 12 hours a day. You know, mm. and I would I just told the my uh, my doc, I'm like, dude, I, I can't deal with this. Like mentally, I just this is not what I got in this for. And they had sent me through the doc a couple of times and they were just like, well, here's the option. You can do surgery in here, or we can send you back home and you can do it out there as a civilian. And I was like, yeah, get me the fuck out of here. I don't want to mm. be here anymore. And mm. it was just because of boredom. Like I said, we're 12 hours a day. We were, and it was four of us, two of us at that time. And it was just like, you know, I can't do this for two more or another year and a half. So they gave me right. the option to opt out full, full, uh, uh, full disability and everything. So I did, you know, went home, mm. man, you know, that was it. yeah. Yeah. Came so now, now what? when you when you when you go through all this, um, 
you know, how, how are you feeling as you're going through all this? I mean, was it kind of a, was it kind of a, a letdown to be coming back or how did that? Yeah. Mostly because I had nothing to, nothing to come back to, you know, I, mm-hmm. football was out of the question, you know, uh, martial arts. I mean, at this point, like it was more for kids now, you know, like mm-hmm. it was uh, the school I was going to wasn't really doing tournaments anymore. It was all doing katas and forms and stuff. And they weren't doing a lot of tournaments. And that's what I loved doing was the tournaments. Uh, so actually for a brief second, I had contemplated, cause this was back. They had, um, they had some fighting thing. It was like a before UFC. It was some fake fucking fighting thing they had. Guys had like a, a blaster on his arm, and it was just some <laughs> stupid thing they had. You know, it was like I was like, oh man, maybe I could be get into acting or something and do something like that, like a stuntman. And then mm-hmm. about a month later is when the first UFC happened, and oh. I was like, man, I, I want to do this. Like this is what I want to do. Yeah. At the, same, at the same point is when I found the, the APW school. And I was like, mm-hmm. man, I, I can do this UFC thing that's brand new and it looks fun. And I, and I like to fight, you know, so I, I could do that. Or I can go to the wrestling school and become a millionaire. Because, you know, that's what you think when you get into wrestling. you got to be a millionaire. <laughs> right. You know, so I decided to go rest, to do wrestling. And then that's when I started. I went and finally went into wrestling and did that, you know. Man, wow. So now tell me, tell me now, you know, you said your dad was out of your life for a long time. Uh, you know, is your dad still alive? Oh, he passed in 2009. Oh, okay. So, uh, you know, tell me like what, tell me about your dad and your relationship with him. You know, we, uh, you know, oh man, you're going to get me. <laughs> he, uh, he was a good man. He didn't always do good things, but he was a good man. You know, he was a really, mm-hmm. really good caring father. He didn't know how to be a dad when I first came up. You know, so I made a lot of mistakes, but he always had my best interests in mind. You know, he, um, his biggest vice was drinking. He was an alcoholic, mm-hmm. functioning alcoholic. You know, like I, I probably can count the times I've seen him sober on my hand. And not that he mm-hmm. was always slobbering drunk, but he you could always tell he had a drink in him. You know, it was mm-hmm. just buzzing all the time, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, he worked his ass off. We always worked two jobs and just uh, worked on the weekends to make extra money for us and uh, made sure I had everything I needed, you know. And uh, he taught me, really taught me what it's like to just work your ass off and put your family first, you know. But, you know, like I said, he had that, that vice of just wanting to drink a lot and, you know, mm-hmm. at the time when I'm when I'm growing up, I'm thinking, well, he has the right to. It's his house. It's his life. He's you know lived led a yeah. full life, and uh, you know, it's his. It's not nothing. And, you know, I, I was I've brought I was always brought up around people drinking and stuff, so it wasn't a big issue to me. It was the first time I've been exposed to somebody like staying home all day to drink, or mm-hmm. you know, like I said, they would take me to karate, bring me home, and then they'd go back to the bar, and I wouldn't see him till midnight. You know, mm-hmm. um, so that was that was kind of like his his vice, but. You know, it, it, we were really, we were really close. We were, we were really close. Um, you know, uh, later on, like when after when I moved out and stuff, of course, we didn't see each other as much. But we'd always make it a point to do do certain things. Like when the Lakers were in the the finals, we'd always watch it together. You know, uh, we mm. watched Raider games there on Monday nights, things like that. You know, so uh, mm. every time, you know, of course, birthday parties and all the holidays and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, he was he was uh, definitely a, a interesting man that. Uh, uh, taught me a lot of a lot of things to do right and, and a lot of things to do wrong that to this day I don't do because I saw my dad uh, do things he shouldn't have done you know yeah well that's that's so interesting because I'm the same way you know my dad he's a good guy too but he definitely had his vices his vices were you know he's he's an alcoholic and a drug addict or was he's been sober for for over 25 years now and same thing man like there I my dad he 
even when even when he was you know on his binges or he was out doing bad things he was always working always mm-hmm. working hard and always sending money making sure that you know even when he was like not around you always he always tried his best to you know keep us you know keep us afloat and yeah. uh and and you know yeah you learn a lot about what not to do but you learn a lot about what to do my work ethic comes i am convinced my work ethic comes from him you know what i yeah. mean and and so now did you did you ever um you know feel like you had any resentment towards your dad for not being there at the beginning you know not really because that's just mm. like i said it was just i didn't know i didn't know the reasons why he was out of my life until later mm. on uh, and i kind of figured it out but um I, I it just you know most of the families i were around were one parent had their mom and that was it you know um mm-hmm. i was never ex- exposed to a dad wanting his kids and fighting for his kids you know i it was always the dad would go do stupid things and the mom would be home with the kids, you know, and uh, mm. I was never really exposed to to having a, a father figure in the home anyways. Uh, for a short time, it was my brother, you know, and then he mm-hmm. kept getting locked up and he was gone all the time. So uh, a lot a lot of times I really didn't have that male role model in my life. It was kind of my mom mm-hmm. kind of directed me somewhat. And um, when I, when he finally came back in, he I, he changed himself enough to where he was able to raise me, but at that point I was already older, you know, mm-hmm. and kind of raised myself in a way. Uh, my sister was a big part of, of raising me as well. Um, my middle sister, uh, she was a big part of uh, raising me um, and, and mm-hmm. kind of keeping me level-headed and, and on the right path. And um, But yeah, I mean, it was pretty much kind of like, that's probably why I flocked towards wrestling so bad because like those guys were the guys I wanted to be, you know, the badasses mm-hmm. that, you know, we're making money and famous and doing something they loved. And, you know, yes, at this point, I thought wrestling was real anyway. So, you know, I'm thinking like, these guys are making money fighting people. Like, dude, this is this is crazy. You yeah. know, so that that's kind of like, you know, and then, of course, my martial artists, my coaches, all those people kind of um, kind of shaped me the right right way and wrong way to do things, you know, and uh, um, how to kind of just like. I remember one football game I went to uh, my my junior, my junior, my senior year, I became really, really popular as far as football, like, you know, um, being in the newspaper and things like that. And coaches coming to watch me play from other, other like colleges and stuff. And um, I remember one one game, my dad was drunk at one of the games and he was he worked for the school district. So he was friends with all the janitors and stuff. And um, he was sitting on one of the carts, just fucking slobbering drunk. And I was just I'm going like, fuck, man, that the college guy when wants to talk there was a guy from Humboldt State wanted to talk to my, my dad and my dad's over there just fucking you know the smell yeah. on him. You know, and I remember my coach goes, Hey let's just go to the locker room. Just go head to the locker room. We'll talk in there. So we passed right by my dad doesn't even see us there because he's so slobber and drunk, you know. And so we went to the locker room and then we talk and then I remember my coach saying, Oh yeah, he he's out there. He got he can't come in here but you know what do you need? So we talked to the coaches and stuff and you know my my coach just tells me, Hey, you know, you gotta just, you know, suck it up and you know, he, he's your dad, so you gotta love him either way. You know, and uh, he's like, whenever he's ready to change, he'll change, you know, and he never did. <laughs> he was never ready. But uh, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, just my dad. It's just, you know, like I said, I don't love him or hate him anymore for it. It just it's just what he was, you know, just uh, he had a vice that he didn't ever wanted to get rid of. You know, some people have that voice telling him, hey, you got to change this. You know, my, my my dad had a really good uh, my stepmom was a really good woman and mm-hmm. uh, she put up with a lot for my dad. 
you know. Uh, mm-hmm. So I totally give her credit to this day for uh, being kind of a, and also like another figure in my life that helped raise me. Um, she had her vices as well, but she put up a lot with my dad and kind of uh, uh, just just helped mentor me to how to deal with it, you know, how to deal mm-hmm. with it and uh, make it all work, you know. Yeah, man. So, you know, when your dad passed, did you hold any resentment towards him for having those vices or did you just say, hey, that's just who he was? You know, like in, in every every aspect of my life, just my, my, my way I think about things is like, you know, you can never change the past and you just have to accept things the way they are, you know, so you mm-hmm. can hold resentment or hate somebody or be pissed off or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's just going to eat you alive. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure if my dad could do things a different way. He would have, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure I would have as well, you know, growing up, yeah. I'm sure everybody in my life, you know, if you could change things in your life, you would, but mm-hmm. you can't. So there's no sense in dwelling on it or, you know, I, 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 I spoke at his, his funeral too. I was, I was, did the eulogy of that one. And uh, I basically said everybody like, cause at, at this point, you know, like my dad was doing like a part-time janitor job. And it's a, it's funny enough. It's at a church, and uh, hmm. uh, people who know me know that like I'm not a real religious guy. I don't. I'm not one of these guys who hate religion. I'm just. It just. I, I'm just not. That's just not in my in my in me who I am. You know. But hmm. we go to this 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 church. They're doing the you know the banquet and all that stuff for him, and everybody's getting up there talking about him like, like they knew him, and all they're talking about is, oh man, he was. He was did he performed miracles every night that we'd come in and the the place is so clean and he, he was a great Raider fan. I'm like, I'm gonna get up to him like that's all you guys know about my dad is that he mopped your floors and that he was a Raider mm-hmm. fan. Like that's all you know. And I and I and they're all like I said, dude, my dad was Superman to me. You know, he was like mm-hmm. my hero, you know, like I would I would go to sleep at night, like he you know, I'd go to sleep at night and he'd be coming home from work when I woke up because he'd work graveyard, you know, and and mm-hmm. then we'd go cut lawns on Sunday morning, Saturday mornings, you know, to make extra money. Like you know, like he was more than just a guy who cleans your floors, you know, and I, I actually got like a little upset, you know, like this is all you guys yeah. know about my father is that he was a Raider fan because he wore a Raider hat and he cleaned your floors and emptied your garbage. And, you know, not not to demean my dad because he did whatever he did to make money. But, you know, I'm just like saying he was much more than just your janitor, you know, and you guys, yeah. you guys can't even scratch the surface of what my dad was and what he meant to a lot of people. And um, so, I, you know, I got up and I got a little pissed off and said my thing. And then, you know, they they told me afterwards they didn't really understand where I was coming from at first, but they got it, you know, but yeah, man, it was like, if you just hold those things in, man, it's just, you end up, you end up missing all those good things with, with that person, you know, like all the good times that my dad had, you know, and uh, him, when he, when he finally got to meet my, you know, hold, hold my kids for the first time and, you know, at their birthday parties and stuff. And, you know, I, I've always been a pretty strong person. So whatever happened to me, it's, it's just in the past, you know, as long as he was good to my kids, you know, and, and, uh, and that's all that matters, you know, and that's how I want to remember him, you know, yeah. uh, the, so, the so, good things. So let me ask you, if you could get uh, five minutes with your dad right now, what would you say to him? Um, part of me wants to say the Raiders suck right now, but, <laughs> uh, but uh, just, uh, I would just say, look at your grandkids. You know, look what your grandkids are doing, you know, and um, just tell them thank you, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah, just tell them thank you, like, for all the good lessons he taught me, you know, and yeah. in the good times. You know, like I said, um, it kind of uh, in a weird way, like, he's he's the reason why I'm, I'm who I am today. And a lot of people are who they are today because 
had my dad not took me to that first wrestling show, I probably would have never been a wrestling fan. You know, had he not yeah. taken me from where I was living, I probably wouldn't be here at all today. You know, so yeah. if you think of like me going to that one wrestling show and then falling in love with it and then coming back and opening up my school and taking over SPW, all the people who've came out of that, that system there. And you just think of the people who have like Mike Hayashi and uh, Cassie have kids. Chupi yeah. has kids from, from all the stuff that wrestling spawned, you know, all the friendships that came out of that. And people to this mm-hmm. day that I consider my family, my friends, you know, just, you know, people I would have never met, you know, but that was all because I always take it back. It's all because my dad took me to that first wrestling show and made me fall in love with something. And, and he just, he just took me because he didn't know what else to do with the kid. You know, his, yeah. his dad took him to wrestling. So he just said, I guess I'll take mine, you know? And because of that moment right there, that one, that one choice he made, was probably the best choice in my life. Who knows? But you know, on the flip side, maybe I would have been a millionaire <laughs> doing something else. Yeah, but, you'd, uh, been, you'd have been a UFC <laughs> fighter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, who knows? But you know, like I said, he took me in when I first time I asked him. He's like, "We'll go down there tomorrow and get your stuff." And yeah, uh, didn't even ask questions. You know, just just brought me up, and uh, you know, just always he always supported me in wrestling. You know, and uh, mm-hmm. always went to every show I did. The Colonial, he was there. He was there mm-hmm. watching it. And, and enjoying it, you know, and it's so proud, so proud of uh, everything I did with wrestling. And I know he'd be overjoyed with the kids right now. Like he would love watching them work right now, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, that's you know. Well, it's just you, isn't it interesting? Like you sit there and you think about it's. It's funny because I always ask people, and I'll ask you the same questions. Like, you know, well, I don't always ask this, but you know, sometimes you think about things that you regret or things that you know you resentment. Like I held a lot of resentment my dad for a lot of years because of yeah. some of the stuff he did like you know he we ended up you know because he ended up having to go to rehab i think it was either my junior or senior year of high school we had to you know he had to uh go to rehab and we ended up losing our house and losing everything we ended up having to move into this other house but that other house was the house that had the backyard big enough to put a ring in you yeah. know what i mean and yeah. and if, if we had never moved i would have never been involved in any of this you know, as far as Northern California wrestling, I just would have never, you know, been involved. And same thing with you. Like I I frequently talk about, I think the coolest thing about being involved in wrestling, especially here in Northern California is there are so many people from so many different walks of life. Like I'm Sacramento raised. I lived at, you know, I went to Del Campo, you know, you went to river city. Like, I don't know if we would have ever met if it wasn't for the fact that we had wrestling in common and rich roby decided to put wrestling in sac in in the colonial theater and there are so many people like that it makes it special you know what i mean it's it's a community and so now part of that community you you play a huge role in that community because really you know even when i came back from rest you know from from my mission there still was only really spw and apw and then I think Devil Mountain came later. Yeah. And um, so uh, as things got hot, you know, there was a there was a time where everybody was just nobody was in sync. Everybody was hating on everybody. You know, tell us about those years, because when did you stop? When did you stop promoting SPW and hand it off to Samurai? Uh, I want to say that was probably. Man. Twenty. 10, 2011, maybe something like that, around okay. around then maybe. No, it was, it was a little later than that because I was still in 2012. 
I was in Oregon and I was coming back. So it was probably like 2013, 2014. Yeah. Around then okay. is when I, it was when uh, I, I had officially backed out of then because I was kind of letting them book shows at, in Petaluma at uh, what they called Punk Slam at the time. Um, mm-hmm. But I was still running basically the the, the uh, shows of SPW at the at the Colonial. And then we started going to St. Peter's Hall. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was that was probably around around that time right there. Mm-hmm. Twenty, okay. I would say twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen ish. Okay, so in the time that you were you were promoting, you know, there were a ton of guys that came through there. I mean, the scum come came through there. Paul Isadora, you know, I remember they had this guy. I don't know where he was from, but he was like a lucha libre chicken guy. I remember no, watching guy him. Yeah, yeah. guy near Quattro. Yeah, he's from uh, he's from LA. Yeah, that guy was fun. You know, and yeah, then of well, course, like Flacco and Samurai, you know. But what people uh, don't like about that that time there uh, is when, like, a lot of the guys, like, people don't even remember, like, Scorpio Sky was working for us. The Bucks mm-hmm. came down and was working for us. Cholo, B-Boy, like, all those guys were coming down here working for us, you know. And then mm-hmm. Guy Quattro later became uh, Charles Mercury, and they were all working for us. You know, if, uh, Joey mm-hmm. Chaos was, you know, from Santino. He owned Santino. Supreme was coming down for us. And uh, we were getting a lot of those guys coming down you know, for, for mm-hmm. us working for us because I had a working relationship with those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we started really doing pretty, pretty decent numbers, bringing in that talent, you know, but you know, we had the bucks before they were really, you know, famous. Like I remember telling them, uh, dude, the super kick shit's never going to get over. It's fucking <laughs> stupid. Like you can't, you can't not sell it. And now they're making a million dollars, you know, but, yeah, uh, so I, you know, they just, they just knew, you know, and, uh, and yeah, mm-hmm. they were, they worked for us a lot at the St. Peter's hall at first when they were started working. Oh, for us. Nice. But we started, I mean, because we had, uh, you know, that our sister company was NAW in Fresno. Mike Rain was running it. He also started using a lot of those L.A. guys. And we were so we were kind of using them together, all worked together. And Devil Mountain popped up and uh, mm-hmm. Brawl popped up. And so we were working with all these in the Reno Wrestle Factory. And Reno was running and they were part of our, our bigger system, you know. But uh, so, yeah, we had a lot of people that are pretty well-known names now that were working for us at the time. You know, of course, Mo- uh, Morrison and, you know, was, was there. And, and so we, we, had, we just had a lot, a lot of talent coming through, man, that uh, now are pretty big names in the industry. Yeah. So now tell me during those years, who do you think other than yourself was so... Um, so would would have been you consider the most integral person in SPW success? I would say for the probably the first ten years it'd be uh, Flacco. Mm. It would be Flacco. Mm. Of course, he won't take credit for it, but t- to this day, like I t- I tell people when I book people, I book them for value. Like, what can I get out of them? You know, for mm-hmm. of course, pay, and I don't pay Flacco much, but uh, <laughs> like, like what, what you know, what can I, what do I get out of using Flacco? Besides him, his matches in the ring. Uh, if I need a commentator, he's the best at it. If I need a ref, he'll ref, and he's the best at it. If I need flyers made, Flacco will do it. Flacco's a promotion whore. Like he promotes everything he does. He blows it up on social media. Um, he just he does everything for me. Like he's like you know pretty much an extension of me on these shows. Like he does a lot of the stuff I need done. You know, um, if I need him just to be backstage and run stage for me, he'll do it with no questions asked, you know, uh, for Lucha Extreme, he's my champ right now. I took him up to, to Ohio this weekend. He wrestled the main event against, uh, uh, Eric, uh, Eric short, uh, uh, undersized guy, let's say. Yeah. Um, and, uh, they had a great match and Flacco, he's always a baby face now, but I made him be heel and he, lit it up like they hated him because he went back to the old Flacco 
Uh, but mm-hmm. he done so much stuff with like helping wrestlers make T-shirts and show them how to promote um, and getting us into some venues that he would do like his, his punk band would play at. He get us that he got us to Phoenix Theater at first when we were doing Punk Slam over there, you know. But he's he's what I learned a lot about promotion about is from Flacco because he did the punk thing, you know. Like I learned mm-hmm. how important handbills are, you know. Hand, handing a handbill to somebody is more important than putting a stack on a table somewhere, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just learned a lot from him, and then you know, uh, people give me credit for a lot of the stuff that that we did in those early days, but a lot of it was a lot of the offensive stuff was Flacco's idea. He just, because his job, he'd always push it off on me and say it was my idea, you know. But, um, yeah, there's been a lot of times where he's had to control me because I didn't I want to do something that was way over the top. So he's had to, he's had to be my, uh, kind of my voice of reason a lot of times, you know. But uh, definitely him, that he doesn't get enough credit for what he's done behind the scenes. With, with the wrestling, I mean, God, he's, he's probably drew the most heat of anybody we've had there other than, I would say, myself as a heel. And then uh, Oliver John, for a short time as a heel, drew a lot of heat. Um, after that, I'd have to say it would probably be Sir Samurai uh, for the, like the mm-hmm. next 10 years after me and Flacco had been gone. Um, he's done a lot of great things with that company. A little different than when I ran it, but uh, he's been the driving force behind it. Uh, he's got some people in places right now, and they're doing really well. Um, and they always give me a place when I want to go back and work. So uh, I think for those first 10 years, I'll just break it down to, 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 to 20 years. It'd be Flacco and then Samurai after that. Yeah. So are you booking uh, Lucha Extreme now? Yeah, I book for Lucha Extreme. I book for uh, PAW for Pat Kelly whenever he runs, and then of course the Ugly Dojo. Nice so, man. Yeah. So, so now, um, where were your? If you're, you've been around for a very long time. Uh, so, who is your? Uh, let's start with your Mount Rushmore of NorCal wrestling during your time. Well, um, I would probably. I'm going to say people. Most people around here don't know. I would be uh, remiss if I didn't say Roland Alexander. Uh, mm-hmm. We did, at, towards before he passed, we kind of uh, mended fence. Like I said, most of the heat was his side and not mine. But mm-hmm. I would say Roland, uh, modest. Mm-hmm. Uh, there'd be an argument for Vic Grimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, other than that, the last one probably, I know it's kind of selfish for me to say it, and a lot of people may not agree. Uh, but it'd probably be Vinny Massaro. Mm-hmm. You know, just why do you put? Realize, why do you put? Yeah, tell that? me why you put him up there. Tell me why you put him up there. Well, for you know, pretty much the last twenty years, he's been arguably the best talent we've had. People don't give him credit for what he does in the ring. Like the dude's creative as hell. He gets anything over. Um, he he just his overall psychology and creativeness is ridiculous. And people don't give him credit for the people he's trained. Like, he's trained a lot of fucking people. He's, you know, he trained Cain Velasquez and Dalip Singh or whatever the, his name is. And uh, just all the guys that he put out there. Then he can work anybody. Like, he can work any style. He He's probably the only guy in NorCal I know that can that can work luchadors, speak Spanish to him. He can work European style. He can work uh, just any. He can do whatever you need done, you know. Um, he's quiet about it. But he's he's probably the most well traveled, other than like Modest and Morgan and those guys. Um, but yeah, I just I don't think he. That's why I'm saying it, it. It'd be an argument, but people don't give him enough credit. I know him on a different level than most. So like I I've, I've been in the ring and seen him make me look like a million dollars. You know, like I, he was my tag partner for a lot of years, and uh, just like I tell people, like he trains, he books, he he wrestles everywhere. Like I. He, I mean, he's just the guy's overall has done a lot of great things. He's been to Japan, been to Mexico, 
you know, and he's just, he's done a lot, man. He's done a lot, but uh, people don't give him enough credit, you know, for what he does. Uh, and I know what a lot of, I, I, I'm probably the only person that would put him on that mountain rush more, but it's, I, I would have to say it's because I'm in the business, you know, I wouldn't say yeah. he's the, the best wrestler. Like if I was going to say the best wrestler, pure like wrestling, it would have to be Oliver John or Adam, but yeah. not enough people know who Oliver John is, you know, uh, yeah. but those of us that do would say him, but for, for oh, my yeah. Mount Rushmore, it would definitely be uh, Roland and modest. And then, like I said, probably Grimes because uh, he's just done a lot and he's, you know, bigger than larger than life, even though he had a shorter career than most, uh, he was mm-hmm. pretty integral part of that AEW era, you know? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and I know some people are going to come on and say some old, old, older guys, but, uh, when I was coming up, those were the guys that were the legit, you know, that you, yeah. that you wanted to be. And, uh, I said Vinny, Vinny wrestled like a year and a half longer than I, before I did. Uh, but he was always been like a main eventer, you know, where I, yeah. I haven't always been a main eventer, you know? Yeah. So, so tell me now, I mean, you've had an opportunity to be around and so you have a good eye for talent. So tell me who are some guys that are coming up now that you think are the ones to kind of watch? Well, I'm obviously a partial, I'm going to say my kids, <laughs> you know, yeah. I no, but, I, but I'll, I'll tell you, it's just so you don't, just so you don't have to, don't have to uh, toot your own horn. I've been around a little while and I've, I've been a fan for a long time. I saw Titus before he started blowing up. I saw Titus work uh, one of uh, Joe's uh, um, brewery shows against Johnny Butabi. Oh yeah. And, and the thing about, and Johnny's a great worker. Like he can yeah. work with anybody too. But the thing that I noticed about Titus was even down to like the facial expressions. Like yeah. I saw him do it, you know, he, uh, you know, he, you know, he was working from underneath and the next thing you know, he just hits a drop kick, you know, to kind of turn the tide, right? He has a drop kick and he turns around and you could see he's laying on the, on the mat and the face he's giving, uh-huh. like you could just tell, like it just brought something to it. You know what I mean? Like he was yeah. in the character. There's a, there's a few guys out there that, that just get it. And you could tell yeah. he gets it, you know, and yeah. Abigail, I've seen Abigail work probably, I don't even know how many times. Never seen a bad match. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You know, they, you know, they, they put in the work. They put in the work, and they're they're like I said, they're they're students. They a lot of people say, "Well, yeah, you're ugly kids, blah blah." But, you know, they they put in the work, and part of that is because my kids, and that's just the way I raised them. But I train all my students that way. They're just the ones who are like because we lived together for so long, they had easier access to me to to mm-hmm. to drill it in. I'm not that I I'm the you know you train with me, you're going to be a star, but it's like when I can be on them all the time, you know, like, Hey, mm-hmm. did you watch that match? I told you to watch, you better fucking put it on and watch it. You know, and just uh, things like that. I can always be on them and we're watching wrestling together and I'm explaining why things are happening, why things are, you know, uh, that, that made them really do the pay attention to detail. And when I trained mm-hmm. them, it was, it was Abigail was first. And then, uh, I ran uh, actually my first camp since I was training people again, she was in it. Titus was in it. And then the pride was in it. Joe Gamble and Dorian, uh, Dorian mm-hmm. Graham Mercedes. And uh, we were, I mean, we were running, like, we'd go two, day, two days a week and train. And then on the weekends, we'd do a marathon class. We'd be there eight hours a day. We'd go go for three and a half hours. We'd go eat, come back, and then do another three and a half hours. And it was like, I mean, I know this seemed like repetition for me, boring, but it was basically like fundamentals, fundamentals, fundamental. And maybe at the end of the class, I'll say, here's 30 minutes, work on whatever bullshit you want to work on. But uh, there, I mean, as anybody who trains me and tell you, the things I focus on, is fundamentals, 
facial expressions, of course, ring placement, timing, and um, and transitions. Everything else is just a move. You know, like I don't mm-hmm. care what move you do on your come or your cutoff. I don't give a shit what it is. You know, just how do you get to your cutoff? So those are all the things that they had to work and learn, and now they just keep applying it. And every time they have a match, they send it to me, and we still critique it to this day. Or like Titus wrestled Ray Hortis, and then after he wrestled, or he wrestled about an hour later, he messaged me, "Hey, so what'd you think?" And then I blew him up. I lit him up, not lit him up, but I told him what I thought and what he needs to work mm-hmm. on and whatever. Abigail's mm-hmm. the same way. I just I'm I'm at the shows with her more now because she's. Like we go to Oregon together and she's local. So uh, we do a lot of the shows together. So I tell her right after, you know, um, mm-hmm. so they really don't have a chance to, to not do what I'm asking them to do, you know, and get, and get better. Yeah. And when they see it work, they see it work. But back on your question, I'm sorry to mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, no, that's, no, that's great. I, who are some, so your, your kids definitely, like I said, I don't want to, you don't have to toot your own horn. They are very good. Who yeah. else do you think other than your kids would be people that you should watch Right there's now. a there's a, a lot of youngsters around in the area that all possess some good qualities. Uh, there's obviously things I think they need to work on, and I don't know. Um, I don't I don't want to pick on their schools or whatever, but uh, just sometimes they're not getting taught, you know. And I, I, as a trainer, my job is to tell you, and this is this is the way I, when I coach anything, I'll tell you one thing you're doing right, and then I'll tell you four things you're doing wrong. Because I don't mm-hmm. want to bury you until you're not doing nothing right. But there's some stuff we got to work on. And I think a lot sure. of times trainers are just telling their kids how great the match was. Oh, you did this, mm-hmm. you did this, and then they don't they don't pick on those small things. And Titus will tell you, to, even when I coach, there's a picture we have where he was in the newspaper. He was probably like 12 years old, maybe even younger than that. And he's catching a pass, right? And he looks over, he looks at the camera, and the camera catches him looking at the camera while he's catching the ball. And of course, everybody's all oh, Titus in the paper, and I lit him up. Why is your fucking eyes off the ball? So he always tells me that story, like, that's the thing I picked on. Why is your eyes off the ball? You could have dropped the ball because you weren't looking at it. So those are the things I always pick on to them. I'll say that, that form, that third form he did was weak. He, that's awful. <laughs> and then they'll try to make it better, you know. But with the young talent today, there's a lot of a lot of them, I think. And, you know, I guess I, I'm partial because I'm, I always work on the small things. But uh, from the West Coast would be Charlie. Charlie's really good. Mm. Uh, a little undersized, but he can't do nothing about it. But uh, he's he's good, man. He's Charlie's really really good, uh, kind of indie rific, but uh, he's just a solid worker, man. Uh, once he learns mm. how to cut promos, uh, kid's gonna be be something special. Uh, Jaya Jewel, I really like Jaya a lot. I've been using him for about a year and a half on my lucha shows. Yeah, and on my dojo. The shows. crazy, the crazy occasion, right? Yeah, the crazy. And he's he's with West Coast now, so Vinny's Vinny's fixing him, and he's getting way better. You know, yeah, he's um, he's he's another one that you know uh, I saw him at a next level pro show. And he walked in there, and it was just like he again. The facial expressions is like he's ready made for TV. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I just yeah. tell him, man, once you figure out how to work out and get bigger, <laughs> yeah, because he's really, he's a little skinny right now. But I guess it kind of works yeah. towards his gimmick. But uh, I, you know, I saw him. I saw him on Saturday, and I got to tell you, he looks a little bit thicker than he did before. He looks like he's getting a little bit of size on. I him. hope so because not only will it get him more bookings, but it'll protect his body. You know, when you're really small yeah. and skinny, it, it takes the wear and tear on you. Uh, yeah. Another like one of the guys that I use a lot too is uh, JJM or JMM. Is that his? I always call him JJM. Yeah, JMM. Uh, I love yeah. JJM. We were, he was actually with us on the Ohio thing. He's one of my guys that I just use all the time. He's a great, great worker, good charisma. A little, a little snug ski though. Like he blasted yeah. me in the chest with that kick that made my nose bleed this weekend. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and he and he's just he's a good, reliable person that he he has. I know like I know he's one of those few guys that like definitely has my back. Like. When he, mm-hmm. he had to cancel a booking on me, and like he felt so bad, but he double booked himself. 
So mm. is it okay if I'm, I said, bro, don't even, is it okay? Do your thing. Don't trip, man. Just be at the next mm. show. So he's just, he's one of those good hearted guys that I, I trust, you know, mm. um, another kid, two kids I've been working with at next level a lot is a low Devereaux and, um, Reese the beast or Blacklight. Uh, mm. kind of working with them for a while. And on Tuesdays I go help run next level class. And I've been really working with them a lot and, uh, they're hungry. They're really, really hungry mm. and they're, they're trying to get better. You know, dude, dude, low Devereaux. I like him a lot. Yeah. I like him a lot. I've been on a couple a shows with time. him. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I've been on a couple shows with him, man. He he's, he's figured out his gimmick. It's going pretty well. Like, yeah, I've seen him kind of figure it out over the last course of time. And yeah, he really knows his, he, he, he's uh he's a good one. Another one that's a little undersized, but like he's yeah. got it. He's entertaining. One, that's one of the things I told him, like he, uh, him and uh, Reese the Beast and uh, JT um, mm-hmm. from uh, West JT Thorne, another another pretty solid kid from West Coast. He's like their first graduate. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, they had a six man with me, Gamble and Titus at the dojo show, mm-hmm. and Lo came out. They were dancing, doing their thing, and man, they did like three laps and were doing all this bullshit and got in the ring. And I told her, if you tell them they're fucking around too much, and I'm getting pissed. And then you see their eyes get big, and then they and then they settle down. But I told Lo, Lo, look at you and look at me, look at you and mm-hmm. look at Titus, look at you, look at you. Should be terrified to be in that ring with us. You mm-hmm. shouldn't be fucking dancing and and you know getting your little gimmick in. You should be terrified. Like that whole match should have been you not wanting to get in the ring, and making mm-hmm. the other guys go in. You know, I said that's how you work psychology. That's how you work. So every time you come in. You just he he, and then we'll no sell you and get the fuck out, you know. So I was trying to explain mm-hmm. him those little things, you know. But uh, he he's one of those guys that like he's so into what he's doing, he forgets that there's certain psychologies that you have to follow. Like they came out and did a couple laps, and I told him, "Why did you guys do three laps?" Well, so what's your what's your angle about like what's your goal when you get out there? And they're like, "Well, to get over and be hated." I go, "Yeah, you did that thirty seconds walking in, so you mm-hmm. keep doing that. You're not going to get him to hate you anymore." By right. telling them they're stupid, you got to get in the ring and make them hate you a different way. So sure. then they got it, you know. Um, I think a, a lot of this, and another one is uh, before I forget, uh, Prince Gabriel from uh, uh, West, or I'm sorry, uh, Best of West. Best of, yeah, gonna, he's good too. He's yeah. a good kid. Um, but the, a lot of the, these young guys that they get so into playing their gimmick, they forget that there's a psychology on everything, and what you do affects me, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you're not like, if I'm this big badass. Like if I'm going, if, if Low Devereaux is working sin, he should be terrified and not want to get in the ring at all. He shouldn't be dancing and excited to get to the fucking ring and get his ass kicked. You know, right. so I there's a lot of small things you guys got to figure out and you got and you have to work on. But they need people telling them that all the time. You know, and like I said, mm-hmm. a lot of times they go to shows and they're working their another student or they're working, uh, you know, somebody else that's green, and they're not mm-hmm. going to learn that way. You know, I, I always right. tell you, you guys got to go to these shows and say, hey, I, I love this booking, but who am I working? If you're working some other guy that's been wrestling two months, it's not going to be beneficial to you. You know, you got to mm-hmm. you got to want to work up. You got to want to work better people. You know, mm-hmm. another kid that's really, uh, really good, too, is um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Guapo from uh, SPW. He's a little lucha oh, okay. kid. Okay. Yeah, he's, he's really solid. And then uh, Mike, Mike Hayashi has a kid named uh, Santino. That's a, a lucha kid. It's pretty good. It's pretty solid. But uh, mm. yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot out there. Uh, God, what's the kid's name from uh, PCW? Uh, the 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 big black kid. Um, I don't know. Oh, oh my God, I forget his name. God, this dude's OC, about OC, OC Hayes. Is that his name? No, no, no. It's like uh, O O O something or other. It's not OC Hayes, but it's I forget what it is. But he's really tall. He was on he was on the AW when they came through. 
mm. big tall kid, fucking chisel like a freaking, you know, just like a, a, a like a bodybuilder. Uh, great athlete, good attitude. I worked him a little bit at one of the SPW camps. Uh, he's another kid that I would really wish I could see more of, but I, I don't go to PCW and SPW very often. So, but he's another mm. kid that I think needs to get out and do more things. You know, he's definitely uh, has a lot of upside. You know? nah, I, there, there needs to be. The, I think a problem with a lot of the NorCal scene, not just the shit on NorCal scene, but everybody wants NorCal to grow, but nobody wants to work together. Yeah. And, and when I say, when I say work together, it's not just I'll book one of your guys if you book me and my guy. You know, it's like, you know, we we have to just let these guys go work other places. You know, like I I was telling the next level kids, you know, Justin, the owner, his goal is to get you trained so you're working everywhere in the country, not just staying here. You know, me mm-hmm. as a trainer, like. When I train my guys, of course I want them to wrestle for me. But if they have a chance to go to GCW or Gorilla or something, go. Go do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Go yeah. do those things. My company's going to be here no matter what. You guys got to grow and expand because when you get your name out there, then it gets my name out there. You know, like Every time mm-hmm. Titus goes somewhere, he has the Ugly Dojo shirt on. And they always ask him, what is that? He's always my dad's school. Mm-hmm. So people will message mm-hmm. me, ask you know, where I'm training at and I'm, the, my, how much I charge and all that shit like that, even though I'm not running a school right now, you know, but... Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's about getting your guys out there. And I think a lot of guys try to hoard their talent, you know, and you got to get these guys out. I've heard people say, well, you can't work for that company. You know, like, what the mm. fuck? Like, was your goal to be a, a, ma- a work matches for this guy or to wrestle everywhere, you know? So mm. I, I always tell my guys, like, when I was running SPW and Roland hated me, he was using a lot of my talent. Crypto was going over there and Adam and those guys were going over there. So he was using a lot of my talent on his shows. I told him, go mm-hmm. ahead. Like it's more work for me. It's more work you get, which makes me look better. Yeah. You know? So I, I, I just, I don't like that mentality of, of, of some of the guys around here. Or you can't work there. You can't work there. It doesn't matter. It's your, it's your, your, your talent. Your name getting out there. Who wouldn't want? Like I, I tell everybody, you want to book Titus and Abigail? Go ahead. They're going to steal your show. So it makes me look better. You know. Right. Like, well, take them. Put them in match one. I don't care. They're going to do what they do, and they're going to get over. You know. So. Right. Do it. Take them. Man. You know. And. Not enough people have that mentality, though. You know. Yeah. So, so tell me now, um, your your kids. One of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was, uh, you know, your 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 uh, daughter Abigail is transgender, mm-hmm. and uh, when is the first indication that you you had as a father that uh, Abigail was uh, was transgender? Well, um, do. The first thing time anything of this came up was as a couple of years ago. And I remember they had, she had called me, she was staying with her mom for a while. And um, uh, at this point she was already like, I don't say 20 or something, but she was over there and they, she asked me to come up. We're getting ready to go to a show and uh, we're driving to Oregon and uh, we're getting ready to go to a show. So I go there to pick her up and there, her mom's sitting on the couch. And I think one of the aunts is there and Salem's there and Bishop's there. And it was like a, it felt like a fucking intervention, you know, so I walk in, I'm like, Hey, what's going on everybody? And, and then they're like, oh, well, you know, her, mom, or her mom's like, hey, well, tell him. And so Salem tells me, well, I just want to let you know that I, I'm, uh, uh, it, no, it was, she's, I'm bisexual. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, we got to get on the road, so get your shit and let's go. Like, <laughs> and then, of course, her mom's like, did you hear what she said? Or you hear what because at this time, she was still going as Roman. Uh, I was like, yeah, she's bisexual. What the fuck do I care? I don't care who Titus is sleeping with. What do I care? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's none of my business, you know, as long as they're not doing right. nothing illegal. So I mean, we just went on the road and we just didn't talk about it much. Like we didn't really even say much about it. It was just not a big deal. And then like 
as the months progressed, she kind of was figuring out, well, maybe I'm non-binary. And it kind of, she was trying to figure out all these emotions and these things that were happening to her. Mm-hmm. And when she finally decided she was transgender, I was just like, okay, so now you need to educate me. Cause I kind of know some stereotypical stuff and the stuff that's in the media, but I don't know exactly what all this means. So she mm-hmm. kind of, you know, smartened me up to all that, all the, the stuff that goes along with being, with being transgender. Um, so it was never a, a thing about like, I mean, just, I, I kind of try to prepare her for being transgender in the wrestling business. Mm-hmm. But um, other than that, I was just kind of like, well, I mean, do what you're going to do. That's on you. Like I, you're still my kid either way. Like I, right. I don't, I don't care what your preference is, you know, just tell me what I need to call you. So you're not offended and uh, I don't disrespect you and we'll go from there. But yeah, it was just, it was, it was the stuff that was the, was the issue was her emotionally handling it. Cause you know, she was just so into like, so everybody was, would say the wrong thing. Cause they didn't understand. They didn't get it. They didn't like, we have coaches that hadn't seen her since she was played football. So they'd say, hey, Roman, or, you know, and stuff. And she would get offended right away because she didn't understand that they still see her as that kid they coached for 10 years. You know, they mm-hmm. don't not trying to be disrespectful, you know. So uh, she started, she would get really offended, really hurt. It would really bother her, you know. And uh, kind of through time, she kind of was like, yeah, you know, you're right. People aren't necessarily trying to offend me. Sometimes people just say the wrong thing, you know. And uh, she kind of became more cool with it and you know and not it's not so much of a deal anymore but i see it now where people misgender her you know and i try to you know i don't want to say nothing and go off 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 on somebody but you know i i see her just got being able to deal with it now and not take it to heart so much you know uh, because she's growing Mm -hmm. and uh she's happy with who she is so i just told her that you know if you're going to be transgender in, in the wrestling world what you have to understand is that people Rest, the wrestling world and gimmicks is behind society years, you know. So if you're mm-hmm. going to come out and you're going to, you know, be your feminine self, people are going to think that you're plain gay. Mm-hmm. They're not going to understand that you're really transgender. It's who you are, that you're just a girl wrestler in the ring. They're going to say, oh, you faggot and you all this stuff like that, which has happened to her before. But I told her, like, Traditionally, people who've played gay characters, and a lot of people don't understand there's a difference between gay and being transgender. They, they, they don't yeah. they don't see the difference in it, you know. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna think that it's a spoof because that gay character has always been a spoof in pro wrestling. Adrian right. Adonis did it, people always made fun of it, you know, and that's that's the way it's been. So people are going to naturally assume that that's what you're doing, not understand because they don't know who you are outside of the ring. You know, Um, so at at first it was a little struggle for her, but she, you know, if you're going to be from that community, the wrestling world is the perfect place to be that in because there is so many people from that community and then nobody that I've came across has an issue with it at all. There's whole shows that are dedicated to that community, you know, and it's just, it's a beautiful thing, you know, so she's really accepted in the wrestling world and the fans love her. You know, and uh, she's having a great time. So now that she's so comfortable, she's just excelling. Like her promo skills are ridiculous. She buried me in a promo in Oregon last a couple weekends ago. You know, but uh, uh, she's really good at what she does, and she's really comfortable now. And uh, now we're trying to take the next next step to get her to over to the next bump. You know, she took a she took about uh, I'm gonna say close to a year off when she earlier, um, not so much off, but it wasn't working many shows when she was starting the transition, you know, she missed a lot of shows. She was actually supposed to work for West Coast before Titus was. They wanted mm-hmm. her before Titus, but she had taken time off, so they used Titus instead, and then, uh, you know, he blew up, but 
Uh, so she's she's going to get her her run. She's like I said, she's every time people let her talk, they're oh my gosh, she's so great on the mic. And you know, she's a theater kid. She's always been into that stuff. So she's really great on the mic. And her work rate is you know incredible. Like I, you know, I wish her conditioning was better because just like myself, you know, you get gas in the ring, your matches suffer. You know, but she's definitely really she's definitely coming into her own. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's uh, uh, one of the things that you said. You mentioned that sometimes people. Um, who remember her back when she was a little kid. You know, similarly, I remember when Sheik transitioned and mm-hmm. uh, and I remember telling her at the beginning, I said, listen, I may call you he. <laughs> I just mm-hmm. want to let you know the only reason for that is because for the bulk of the time that we were like hanging out, you were a he, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's like, yeah. it's not, I'm, I'm not being offended. I'm not trying to offend you. I just, I'm not used to you being she yet you know what i mean it's yeah. gonna take me a minute and time, yeah. yeah and uh and now you know it's like i hardly rem- i hardly remember it I, I ran i ran across a a facebook post of uh something she posted and it was something like it was a promo she she cut at one of my shows where she was like uh my <laughs> she said uh what do you mean i'm not famous my facebook my my chest hair has its own facebook page you know what i mean like something like that <laughs> yeah. it was just yeah. I just remember back in that day, so it's it's pretty awesome. But <laughs> so now, what does it mean to you as a as a wrestling trainer, as a coach, all of those things? What does it mean to you to have your kids kind of following in your footsteps? You know, to, honestly, to me, it means everything. Like you know, they've when me and their mom, even before that, but they've always kind of followed what I was doing. And you know, I was coaching football before they started playing, obviously. And then they both started playing and then took to it and they loved it, you know, uh, then they got into rugby a little bit, uh, but, uh, just coaching them in football. And then, you know, for a while, Salem was really into working out and, uh, Titus obviously got really into working out. Um, when Salem moved away to live with her mom for a bit, uh, of course I wasn't there every day doing those things with her. So she kind of lost interest, but, um, yeah, just when they started wanting to wrestle, at first I was kind of like, you know what, I, I really, I really would rather have you guys go to college, something to fall back on. You know, um, mm-hmm. I really don't want you guys to wrestle. But then, you know, here I am with a freaking master's degree and I don't even use it. So, like, I'd kind of be a hypocrite if I, <laughs> you know, I told them that. I wanted them to do, like, the military or something to have something to fall back on because I've generally always had two jobs to work. I've always worked two jobs because I had to make money for my, to, you know, for, to, for my kids. So I didn't want them to have that life, to have to work, you know, live check to check and, and, and do all that, you know. So I was telling him, you got to go to school, go to the military, do something. But here I am. I you know, got a college degree. I went to the military and I'm still living check to check. So I kind of when they started wanting to do it, I was like, OK, this is fine. But just like everything else we've done, if you're going to do this, we're going to go 100 percent and you're going to be the best thing you best you can at it. And I just told them they both need to understand that just like when I coached them at football, that what this means with me training you is that you, because you live with me, you don't get time off. Like you're not going to be sick here when it's time to train, it's time to train. And uh, you're going to, I'm going to be on your ass for everything because you're going to have every opportunity to do something big, you know, if, and I, in a kind of in a selfish way, I told him, if you don't make it, it's not because you weren't trained right. <laughs> you know, It's mm-hmm. not because mm-hmm. I didn't put in the work. You didn't put in the work. It's for some other circumstance. I said, so be ready for it because I'm not going to take it easy on you. You're a student of mine. When it's, when we go to training, you're my student. You're not my kid. And, uh, and that's the way it was. You know, we conditioned them. We'd work them hard in the ring. And like I said, it was just all the time. And uh, 
they're kind of ingrained that in them now. Like they're so cerebral when they do their matches and when they watch them later, when they plan them out they're you know, which I don't like planning out anyways, but they're just on it now. And they just really understand uh, the students, you know, they're, they're students of the game and um, they just, they just so hungry to get better all the time. That's what I really value. Cause that's how I am. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I go to some of these shows and I, when if somebody's doing a training seminar, I'll sit and watch because I want to know what this guy's doing, what he's training people on. You know, I want to mm-hmm. see what he's doing. You know, so I can when I train people, I can get better. I sat backstage at a Defy show and I was listening to Davey Richards and um, uh, Alistair Black call a match. And I was just sitting there going, "Oh my God, these guys are freaking the smartest guys I've ever met in the business." And I just sat there and I'm just, you know, I'm close to 50 years old at the time, and I'm just sitting there thinking, like, man, I still there's just so much more I need to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much more I need mm-hmm. to learn. You know, but I just sat yeah. there and those those things they were talking about. I had talked to Davey after and I was, "Why did you do this?" And he told me, and I just make mental notes, and I'm like, all right. So I go back and tell the kids, <laughs> you know, like, hey, yeah. maybe change it this way, this, change it this way, do it this way, you know. And uh, and they see that, they see that I keep working, you know. Like, I watch so much indie wrestling right now, you know. I have my favorite mm-hmm. guys that I, I watch wrestling, and then um, I just I, I try to study because I can go back and tell them to do this. You need to do this, and like when I when I work with the next level kids, I'll tell them something, I'll give them a move, and they've never seen it before. But it's because nobody does. I, I did it years ago, but people are all into leg slapping and doing this flippy shit. They'll all do something that's so simple. And they'll be like, oh, my God, that's genius. I'm like, no, it's just a basic move, man. You know, like when we were going over cutoffs, it, everybody comes up with this crazy old thing. And I told Ty, you throw a great cutoff, just throw that. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what? Yeah, just somebody jumps, just throw a drop kick at him. And he does the best drop kick I've ever seen in my life. You know, mm-hmm. and it's always a cutoff or something, you know, and it, and people mm-hmm. always pop for it, you know, because it looks pretty and it's a simple, basic move, you know. Mm-hmm. So I always go try to try to learn and feedback and give them those those little tidbits and then uh, watch them just do it, you know, and watch yeah. them get better, you know. Man, yeah, that's awesome. So tell me now, uh, you have a good relationship with their mom? Yeah, obviously, when it first happened, we didn't, you know, mm-hmm. um, I guess that's uh each of them have their own story to tell with her. Bishop's really close with her. My youngest is adores his mom. Um, mm-hmm. Her and Salem get along really. You know, they she. I think when when the first when we first split up and got separated, Titus chose to live with me, mm-hmm. and so I think she held a little bit of resentment towards that at first, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, and was mad. I mean, it was all directed towards me, you know. And Titus mm-hmm. was my little freaking shadow. Like everywhere I went, Titus was with me. You know, I, at this at this time he wasn't playing high school football. He was playing youth. He'd go to the games with me on Friday nights. You know, he would just with me all the time. Go to wrestling shows with me and uh, did everything with me. You know, um, so he was always like my little sidekick. And then you know, when I had Bishop and Salem on the weekends as well. But uh, he, him, and her aren't so close as they used to. I, I don't like to say too much about it because she's a great woman. You know, like I said, me and her had our issues, and we're really good friends now. I actually talked to her today. She's a great woman, and she's she's probably helped me out more than anybody else um, in the last you know seven or eight years. We've been she's she's been my rock. You know, we so we have our differences, but um, she's always she's I I know that if I broke down on the side of the road, she'd come get me in a second. Mm-hmm. You know, if I needed anything, she'd be there for me in a second, as well as I do the same for her. Um, mm-hmm. Whatever problems they had, it's between them. It's pretty much in the past because they're both older now. Uh, whatever resentment mm-hmm. there it isn't she loves her kids though 
you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, like, because I know Bishop adores. I know Salem loves her to death, and I know Titus. Titus loves her too. He's just a little, a little bit of a, a more of a knucklehead, you know. And he's like, <laughs> he's, he, he's like me, setting his ways, you know. And he, uh, and Titus doesn't like a lot of people, you know. He's friendly mm-hmm. with everybody, but he doesn't put a lot of people into a circle, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so just like with our family alone, like, he's he's. He comes to the family functions and stuff when he's free, but uh, he doesn't generally like associate with a lot of people. He has his couple friends, and then uh, uh, I've always tried to tell both of them, "You need to have a separate life outside of wrestling," you know. And they, they try to stick to that. You know, they have their own group of friends outside, and you know. But um, they, like I said, he, he's doing some stuff right now where he had to have blood work done and some stuff done, and she helped him with it. And uh, so there, you know, the, the fences are, are mended. It's like I said, it's all in the past. He just Titus is Titus, you know, and. Uh, he has he's so focused on other things right now that um drama's the least of his worries. You know, he's so yeah. focused on getting where he needs to be, you know. But uh yeah. she she's a good woman. I mean, like I said, we've had our differences where we hated each other and wished each other dead and things like that with the court and you know, uh went to court, I got custody of the kids and you know, we worked things out and, and it just like I said, uh she's she's a good woman, she's a good friend and uh I, I won't say nothing bad about her because, like I said, there was a time where, yes, I, I wouldn't say nothing good about her. I, I One thing, though, is I never talked bad about her in front of the kids, you mm-hmm. know, because, like, I told them, that's your mom, so you need to respect her. And if I'm calling her the B word and all these things, then they're going to think that that's okay. So I've never mm-hmm. really been disrespectful. We've talked about stuff that they've had with her, you know, but I don't really do those things, you know, because it's just, that's the end of the day, that's their mom, you know, and they yeah. need to... They need to respect her, you know, even if they don't like her, you know, but I'm not saying they don't like her, but you know what I'm saying? Like right. they need to respect her, you know? Uh, yeah. Uh, so it, it's, it's been, a, it's came a long way, but I, I definitely tell everybody that like when I was wrestling, um, she was definitely my, my partner in the whole thing. Like she ran the, all the, all the, uh, uh, paperwork I had to do. She ran the snack bar for me. She definitely allowed me to go to shows and do things, allowed me to have my wrestling school at the house when I had to. And, uh, she was really, really, a really good woman, a really good partner. Uh, when we split, I was really doing my wrestling thing, and I think she was just so happy to be out of that, have that responsibility. She kind of did her own thing, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. I was always doing my, my wrestling business and doing all the other things I was doing. So she kind of went out and, and uh, lived her life a bit, you know, and um, I don't know. Like I guess I really I don't know how to say it, but she just kind of lost. Uh, we've lost a lot of, with each other at that time where we just hated each other and I hated everything she did and she hated everything I did and she hated wrestling and I hated her life. And uh, at one point it was kind of like, we were just like, yeah, it's so stupid that we're acting like that. You know, just end of the yeah. day, we have to be here because of the kids and, you know, we've worked with each other on a lot of things and it's just, it's been a, it's been a blessing these last few years, you know, uh, and a lot of it has to do with Bishop because of Bishop, you know. Mm-hmm. So has that gone the other way too? Have you had your differences with the kids too, or has it been mainly have they always no, been kind of with you? Not, I mean, I, I honestly couldn't say nothing. Like, there was the only thing I can remotely say that there was any kind of a even close to a problem was Salem was dating this girl, this uh, individual. Um, she's transgender as well, so I, I forget uh, what her pronouns are, but I'll just say an individual, and uh, really wasn't a good person. We could all see it. And Salem couldn't because she was in love. Um, and the person was really bringing Salem down, like just bringing her down to a, a bad point, you know, where Salem believed a lot of things that weren't true. And it just got, you know, to a point where 
her head was getting filled with stuff and uh, the girl made a comment about me and Bishop told me and I just, or the person made a comment about me and told me and I was like, that person is never allowed in my house again. I don't want to see her around. Don't, don't mm-hmm. ever bring her here again. She's not allowed. And uh, Salem then says, well, if she's not walking her, I'm not. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's called tough love. If you're going to pick her over your family, then do it. And I'm not saying you can't come over here, but you know, I don't want her around here. She's disrespecting me in front of my kids. You should stand up for me, you know? And uh, so she ended up living in her car for a while, you know, uh, struggling. Mm. And I'd always help her out when I could. But, uh, you know, she went through some stuff, you know, and it was kind of like a tough love thing. Uh, I think Salem ended up seeing where the writing was on the wall and ended up making better decisions. And now she's with a a person that's an amazing human being. Uh, His name's Lee and, and totally they have a great relationship. Um, and she's doing in a better place now. She's motivated. She wants to do things. And, but it was never like, um, fuck you, dad, or fuck you. You know, it was never nothing like that. It was just kind of like, mm-hmm. I was just going to, I was got done dealing with this other person. And I, and I had welcomed him in my home a lot, you know, and said, you're mm-hmm. welcome to stay here, giving him money and stuff. And this is how I get repaid. Uh, so I was just like, yeah, I'm done. And it lasted a couple months and then, you know, it was all over and, you know, like to this day, like it's just, it was a learning experience for all of us, you know, and uh, Salem always knows that whenever it comes down to it, I have her back, you know, and yeah. um, just one of those things where I was just like, I can't mentally do this anymore, you know, keep giving to somebody who doesn't even respect me. And uh, like I said, it was, it's all over. And um, like, it was never a thing where we hated each other. You know, I think she told me that just, I'm going to not get booked anywhere you are. And at this time I was booking, I booked her on Lucha Extreme. And I said, mm-hmm. okay. So I took her off the show. I'm like, you don't want to be on any shows I am. So I took her off. <laughs> and we didn't talk for like two weeks and then it was all over, you know, but nice. like I said, that, that, other than that, it's, I mean, I, I can't really say anything negative. Like, um, I mean, I, me and Titus are, you know, best friends really, you know, and Bishop too, mm-hmm. like me and Bishop, we don't, I don't see him as much because him and his mom moved across town to the Arden area. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, all of us were like, I go on the road with Salem all the time and, you know, if I'm not on the road with Titus, we're texting and messaging and, you know, Bishop's usually here. I'm over at his house. So it's it's I really don't have anything bad to say, even like if we do disagree on something, it's never not too crazy. Because I, I just know at the end of the day, like a disagreement is, is never something to have heat for where it's going to take time away from yeah. uh, your family. You know, like when um I, I learned this, uh, uh, I, ah, man, I oh. Well, I was I had the story, but I haven't told yet because uh, it always brings emotional. But uh, Virgil, you know, I've always looked at him as a son to me. You know, uh, he was wrestling in the backyard, and then he started training with me. And uh, he had he ran this show, and he booked the kids on there, or he booked Titus. I think Salem wasn't wrestling at the time; she had taken her time off, and he booked Titus on there. And Titus it was his first show in SAC, and man, he brought everybody like. There was like nine or ten football players there. All of our family came, and, and we had so many people there to watch his first match. And uh, he was so excited. We were, and it was just, it was, we, were, we got to the building. We were all happy, all excited. I think I was working actually Joe Del Sol on that show. And we get there, and Virgil's like, oh, yeah, I had to change the match. I'm like, what do you mean you had to change it? Who's in it? And he's like, well, I, I didn't book Titus. What the fuck do you mean you didn't book Titus? Dude, he has, everybody's here. We have like 30 people here to see him wrestle. You know, they've already bought tickets and they're ready to rock. And he's like, well, we had a change. I do this. And I was like, you couldn't have called me and told me that you were going to do this. Like we could have told our family not to come. We have family from out of town coming in. And uh, he was just like, yeah, I'm sorry. Just the way I had to do it. And I said, you know, fuck you, dude. This is bullshit. And then like I walked away from him and we didn't talk anymore. 
And the night he gave my envelope and I left. And man, no shit. Uh, two weeks later, he passed away. You know, so the last thing I told Virgil was "fuck you," and it just, man, it always just, man, rips my heart out. You know that, uh, that, uh, that was our last conversation. You know, and uh, mm-hmm. it bugged me for a long time. Even uh, his, his uh, ex-wife Kat or his wife Kathy asked me to do the eulogy there, and I did it and told a great story about him and Hayashi. And but man, it just ripped me apart for for years because uh, that was just a conversation he and him had. So I was thinking like, you know, nobody knows. You know, it was just, but I just I held all that weight, and then I remember I was talking to Hayashi. And I actually told me, he goes, yeah, Virgil said you cussed him out that, that day. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, he's like, bro, he forget, he forgave you right when you said it. You know, and it just, uh, it's just the guy, guy Virgil was, you know, just a nice guy. But uh, that, that right there, man, just weighed so, so much on me. And that's one of the ways I learned, like, you know, you can't have heat with people, man, because they're going to, they could be gone so quick, you mm-hmm. know, so. If you if you harbor this hate and this animosity over, over stupid things, and, and I mean, and in my mind, I was right. You don't do that to me. Like, you know, I gave I gave you this opportunity in this business. I'm working for you for cheap, and you're gonna cancel my son's match, you know, for somebody else. Like, you know, where's the respect? That's the way I'm looking at it. You know, yeah. But I didn't have to come at him that way. I was just my ego talking, you know. But uh, the fact that I knew he forgave me for that meant a lot, you know. And uh, uh, it's like I said, it's in the past, and that was when I learned, like, dude, like. You know, you just can't have this heat over stupid things with people you love, you know. And and I mean, yeah. our, our story goes way deeper with with me and him, with me and Verge, because there was a there was a time when he was training with me, and uh, he was living down Oak Park area somewhere. And he was riding his bike to training, and he went to like ninety nine cent store, got some food, and went to the or Big Lots or something to buy some more food. Came out, his bike was gone, had groceries on it and everything. Somebody stole it, so he came mm-hmm. back and he. Uh, tell me, you know, I, I got to quit. I can't train anymore because I lost my, you know, I don't have no food to eat. I lost my bike and I don't know what I'm. So I said, bro, don't trip, man. Get in the car. So I went to the car, took him to Rayleigh's and he got a bunch. I said, get whatever you need. Get any, any amount of food you need. And of course, I kept having to throw shit in the car. because he didn't, he didn't want to get nothing from me. But I said, you need a ride to practice. I'll have somebody, me or somebody will pick you up. So for about three months, we picked him up, brought him to him from practice. And uh, later on down the road, I sold him my ring. And uh, he stopped paying for it. Like he missed like two payments. And I and th- at this point, it was after my accident, so I didn't have any money. That's why I sold the ring in the first place. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was living like I was selling DVDs and and trying to make money just to buy food for for me and Titus and stuff. And I told him, bro, like you owe me a lot of money, and I have nothing. I have no food in my house right now, bro. Like I have nothing. You owe me a lot of money. And um, I said, dude, I'm telling you this, man, Virgil, like, you're really fucking me over, dude. Like, you owe me, like, it was like 800 bucks or something like that. And uh, he hung up the phone on me, and I was just livid. You know, I was just pissed off. And then I came home the next day, and there was an ice chest in front of my house with $300 and then a bunch of food that he, hmm. uh, he paid for. And he said, hey, boss, we take care of each other. And I was like, you know, so I called him and apologized, you know. But he, that's just the kind of guy Virgil was, man. And so that's why, like, it just ripped my heart out that that was our last conversation. And uh, I just said, you know, that's never going to happen again. Where I'm going to have heat with somebody. Hmm over something stupid you know and then they they pass away you know and uh, yeah you, so I, you, you know that's so interesting I, you, you bring that up because <clears throat> you know you have those moments where you know like i asked you earlier if you could get five minutes alone with you know either dad right now what would you say it's because you never know when that last conversation is going to come you know what yeah. i mean and yeah, you never definitely. you never know it could be any time yeah, um Vir, virgil was one of those guys that nobody that your story was the first story of anyone i've ever heard who've gotten mad at him <laughs> you know like he he's just 
he's he's such a good guy and like you said a good kind-hearted guy um you mentioned a, a, an accident what happened uh that was it was 2012 i was uh, i had just gotten a job in galt working at a care home i was driving back and i come up on this construction construction zone and all of a sudden traffic stops dead stop so i you know i, I put on the brakes slow and i look over a car goes on the side of me on the shoulder and then next thing i know i hear a honk and then boom the semi rear-ended me oh dude it was one of those ones that um one of those ones that carry other cars, you know, mm, uh, so yeah. like a, a car transporter hit me and it flipped me up onto the SUV in front of me. And I was basically hanging upside down and a freaking uh, airbag came out, punched me in the face with it and uh, oh, knocked me geez. out. And I remember I was, I was just hanging there upside down. And then uh, I guess these people next to me were first responders. So they ran over and they were talking to me and I'm just like looking over like, you know, I, not knowing what the hell's going on. Like, I don't even remember that part that the, the lady was telling me. So the next thing I remember, they're holding my head against the rest on the headrest. And um, they're like, okay, the ambulance is coming and blah, blah. And uh, I remember they had to end up having to cut like side of the side of the car off and uh, to get me out and everything. And uh, took me to the hospital. And um, I spent, I think, two days in the, one day in the trauma unit and a couple days in recovery. And then I was in the hospital for about a week. Uh, but I had uh, two ruptured discs in my neck, uh, compressed one in my underneath, like L4, I think, or L5, and then three slip discs in my low back. Uh, besides the concussion and the fucking scrapes and cuts and all and all that stuff, uh, my back was just thrashed. I was just so bad. Um, so I was. What did you do for what did you What did you do for aftercare? Did you end up having to get injections? You didn't do a surgery, right? No, they did the discogram on it, and then mm-hmm. he told me from that he's like, you know, we can. We can cut your neck. He's like, but here's the thing. He's like, you're probably gonna, uh, you, you're definitely gonna lose range of motion. He's yeah. like, and and the pain may not go away. He's like, you're definitely yeah. gonna lose range of motion, but the pain may not go away. He's like, your back, I won't cut into your back. He's like, if you, if we cut into your back, you'll never wrestle again. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I was like, okay, you know. And he's like, well, I was, he's like, before we go there, this is what I remember because my wife freaked out. He's like, but before we go there, uh, he's like. We have to just we'll get you walking again. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, we have to stand you up and see if you can walk and do all this other stuff like that. And I was like, okay. And I guess when that first happened, like I remember them kind of tapping my toe with a little pin gimmick and there wasn't no movement. Like I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't remember. I didn't feel it. So they thought there was a lot of spine damage and like it was a question if I was even going to walk or walk correctly again. Uh, so I remember telling the doctor, this is my wife tells the story too. The doctor's like, yeah, she's like, you may not even uh, wrestle again. And I say, hey, doc, it's not a question of, of if I wrestle, it's when I wrestle. I said, so I'm going to yeah. wrestle again. Like, I'm, I'm going to be in the ring again. So, you know, after a few, a week and a half in there, like, I remember a bunch of the wrestlers came down. I wouldn't, I told my wife, I don't want the kids here. I don't want the kids to see me like this. And I uh, spent a couple, a little, little bit of time in there and then uh, came home, had the little neck brace on. I remember came home and Titus was crying because he saw me in the neck brace and stuff. And, you know, I got up right away and I said, all right, let's take a walk. And we just walked around the block and stuff and just tried to show them that I'm not, I wasn't hurt you know but uh, it was it was rough man it was rough and when i was in there they put me in the cat scan thing and realized i was a uh, fucking claustrophobic because i'd never been in that before and i freaked out yeah and they had to inject me with valium or whatever and uh more or i think it was valium or xanax is what it was and uh then i found out that i had diabetes i mean there's so much stuff i was in there i was two, 285 when they weighed me uh wow. I, was, I, I was a big fat guy i have a picture that i was standing there with doing my pose and Man, I was just so fat. I was—I didn't realize how bad I got. 
So I made yeah. a conscious effort to get back in shape and get healthy again. And with nine months, I started wrestling again. Yeah. Oh, man. You went back nine months after that? Yeah. I, did I, you end I, up – so let me real quick ask you. The, the injury attorney has to ask me, did you end up getting representation for that? Yeah, I went through – I was I forgot what the name was, but I, I ended up getting a really big settlement for it. And okay. I remember right when it happened, like the next week when I got home, the the trucking company's insurance called me wanted to meet to go over a settlement. Yeah. And uh, I remember my wife telling me, no, don't meet with them. We talked yeah. to an attorney first. So then we talked to one and yeah, he ended up getting me this a, a, a pretty good amount of money. Uh, let's say a pretty good oh. amount of money. You know, yeah, that was, uh, yeah. yeah. Way yeah, more, can, I mean, covered can... all my medical and covered all my medical and just, you know, it was just, it was really good. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, yeah, I, well. I, I didn't have having a job for like two years because of it, you know? Yeah. Now wow. I had that been, now I would have spent my money differently. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, man. That's a that's a rough one, man. 2012. I, I was yeah. just sitting there. I'm like, you didn't call me jerk. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I had just I had just end of 2012 is when I became an attorney. So it's OK. It's oh, okay. Wow. I won't I won't make you. Well, I, I remember won't, when I, I make you feel bad. When I first wrestled, I, I went up to Oregon uh, just to visit my friends because I hadn't seen him in a while. And I wanted just to visit him. And, and at this point, I hadn't got my settlement yet. But I, so I was like, mm. Man, it was, I mean, I didn't have money at all. Like my my disability ran out because it was you know it was on it's the two last years temporary. Yeah. yeah, so I was just no money. I'm telling my attorney, I gotta settle, bro. I have no money, man. I got I gotta make some mm-hmm. fucking money, dude. Like, so I go up to Oregon, uh, drive right up with a couple people, and I'm just visiting, and they're like, "Hey, how's it going?" We're talking bullshit, and then they're like, "Hey, so when are you gonna wrestle again?" And I was like, "Well, you know, if I don't, if nobody knows, I can't wrestle tonight." <laughs> you know, they're like, "Really?" <laughs> So I was like, oh, yeah, they go, well, we have a spot open. And I was like, okay, shit, what's it doing? What's the payout? And this is Grappler was telling me. And they tell me what the payout was. I was like, well, that's cool. I'll, you know, I have a little bit extra money and I have my mask and stuff. So I wear my Chupacabra mask and I uh, end up doing a, a five man cage match or, or 10 person cage match. You know, <laughs> as, uh, they called me, they called me Sinister. And I was like, all right. So I did this cage match. And uh, after that, Grappler was like, hey, we're starting this company up with Roddy, Roddy Piper. Would you want to be involved? And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, what's the pal? And he's telling me, and he's like, well, you know, Rodney needs a, like a bully because he was doing the anti-bullying campaign. And he's like, he mm-hmm. needs somebody to play a bully. And I think you can do it. I was like, well, of course I can. So then he brought me up for that. And then that that, that was history after that, you know. Yeah, started geez. working steroids, making a, Then I started making a living just wrestling, you know. Well, I, I can tell you, man, as a personal injury attorney, if I had ever heard that one of my clients went and pro-wrestled while I was trying to get him a settlement, I would lose <laughs> My mind. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was telling everybody. I was like, "Hey guys, I, I can't let anybody know I'm doing this, man, because I I got a big settlement coming up that I don't want to I don't want to risk, you know." And then like a month and a half later is when I finally got my money, you know, yeah. and I paid off, paid off all my debt and you know yeah yeah I got it, but, uh, bought a new, bought a new car and did all the stuff I was supposed to do, but I didn't really save any of it. I just I was happy not working, you know, yeah. and doing my thing. I kind of stupid with it, you know, and just blew it all away. I took the kids to a football camp and spent like you know six or seven grand and just it was ridiculous man yeah yeah yeah, that happens unfortunately you know i i uh i try to tell my clients to uh you know introduce them to a financial planner give them some names but they you know they're gonna do what they do so yeah oh yeah so now so now um you know we've talked about all of these different things one more thing i wanted to ask you mentioned you have a master's degree what is your master's degree it's in adult education and training Mm -hmm. and uh why didn't you ever do anything with that well, I originally went to college because I wanted to get my degree in, uh, uh, in special needs. I wanted to be a teacher mm. in special needs. 
because that's kind of mm. my chosen careers working with mm. people with disabilities. So I went to the University of Phoenix, and you know, uh, I don't know if you call me gullible or whatever, but I just started believing everything they were telling me. So I get my uh, my bachelor's degree in psychology because I've always been a, you know interested in psychology, and it could transfer over to a teaching degree, especially with the field I work in. And when I'm getting ready to take my master's degree or get my credentials, they tell me, yeah, we have this program, but you got to be on campus in Arizona. And I'm like, wait a minute, you guys told me when I signed up, I told you that I wanted to be a teacher for special needs. And you said you guys offer that. Like, yeah, we do. But it's in Arizona. You got to be on the campus there. You can't take it online. So then I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do now? Like, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, I have a, a bachelor's degree that I, this is what I want to do. So we start looking at other things to do. And I actually took like six, seven months off because I was kind of just done with it. And then I'm like, well, I'll go back and get a, a, a teaching degree. Uh, so that was the field I picked was education and training because I wanted to teach at college and uh, also coach at the, at the college. And uh, so I ended up getting that. And then once I started learning about what is required, I'm like, I really can't do this, man. Like I can't take six or seven months off to intern and not make a living, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the, the things they want, courses they do want to give me, like there's one, there was like one in the AM and then one at night. And then that was it. Cause uh, there were so many teachers who were learning that they could just do classes online. The on-campus classes, there was few and far between that I was qualified to teach, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just was like, well, you know, I'll just, I have other skills. I'll go back to working with people with disabilities and do all that until something comes up and it just kind of nothing came up with it. So I, I ended up going to the school district and become a paraeducator and uh, I was making a decent amount of money and I loved it, you know, working on campus mm-hmm. where I was coaching football and, uh, working in that population, I was in the classroom, so it was just, uh, it was just, it was cool. So I did that for about almost ten years, and then uh, I re- oh about two years ago is when I finally left. But yeah, so mm. that's why I really just didn't do it anymore because I was already doing a job I loved, you know. Yeah. So what are you doing now? Uh, right now, I currently work my overnight job is I work with uh, special needs. I work at a, a care home. Uh, the gentleman I work with sleeps all night, so I basically go there and sleep. So it's like, mm. it's like, you know, I'm not going to ever quit that job because nobody, nobody ever pays you to sleep. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. uh, and then uh, during the day, I do independent living, which I, I have uh, six clients right now and basically go to each of their houses a couple of hours a week and uh, help them with their living skills. You know, teach them how to cook, clean um, when they have to do doctor's appointments, how to take the bus, how to do their budgeting and uh, all, the, all, all those things that they did. They all live on their own or at a home, a group home. So I just work with them individually to work towards living on their own. So tell me what it is that you find, uh, why it is that you choose to work with people with special needs. You know, when I first did it, I was working at a boys ranch in Nevada, working with juveniles and basically thugs and gangbangers. Uh, They closed down. So I came back to SAC full time to live here. And I was home with my wife and we had just had Salem. So I like to be at home every night. So I applied for jobs. My sister actually sent an application in for me. And I went in for this interview. I didn't even know what it was for. I just knew that they paid a good amount of money. And they were offering me or offer and had a good, good, you know, the uh, perks, you know, all the retirement, all that. So I went in, did this interview, and they were just telling me. And I said, oh, because can you tell me about the position? And they start telling me. And I'm thinking, like, man, I don't know. I've never worked with people with special needs. Like, I don't know nothing about this. But I was just like, well, but, you know, they're paying well. So I'll give it a shot. <laughs> And then I, I did it for a while and it was rough. You know, I didn't understand how the the field works. And um, after doing it for a while, I realized that like I can do work on the weekends and kind of make my own schedule a lot, which helps me for wrestling. 
and helps me for football. Mm-hmm. Like if I need to be off right now to go to a game, I can do that. You know, if I need to be off to be at practice, I can do that. I can schedule all my stuff right. So it kind of just at first started working into my schedule with football, wrestling, everything else I was doing. And the pay was pretty solid, you know. Um, and then after a while, you meet certain clients. Like I got this one I, I work with to this day. I work with him on weekends sometimes. And I'm really close to his mom. Um, he's like family. You know, he's like, mm-hmm. I go to his birthday parties and stuff, and we go out of town together. And he's like my little sidekick. You know, like we're boys. Like we're actually like, he's really like he does. He's nonverbal and uh, really, you know, he can he can be rough. But I've just known him for so long that we have a bond. Like when I come over, he's generally happy to see me. You know, and mm-hmm. and I'm happy to see him. So when we go, it's more like we're hanging out as friends. You know, and uh, we yeah. can go do because I can do things with him other people can't. You know. So it's you meet people like that that just change your outlook on everything and make you have this passion for doing it, for helping these individuals that basically don't have a voice for themselves. You know, um, they kind of just are like people always tell them what they think is best for them. And then that's what they have to do. Um, But when you have that bond with them and you know things they like and you let them make their own choices, uh, it's rewarding. man. it's really it's, it's really warning, rewarding. And there's always work. There's always work when you need it. Like I'm picking up extra shifts right now because I'm trying to save money for things. And there's always there's always hours available, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So th- that that's part of it is what keeps me doing it, you know. But I just yeah. I would rather have the teaching job. It's just it's probably not going to happen. So uh, and I, mm-hmm. I'm making a, a fair amount of money now, you know, living. But uh, that's that's what keeps me coming back is working with those specific individuals that you see them grow and advance and. Uh, people given up on them years ago and now they're actually excelling in their life and getting, getting, doing things that people said they could never do. You know, it's just really eye opening for me, you know, and just, it's really so rewarding, you know. What I find so interesting about you is every aspect of your life that you that you find meaning in has something to do with coaching. Like, you know, it's, you, you're a football coach, you know, you're a pro wrestling coach. You're coaching people with special needs on how to live. Talk to me about what it is about coaching that brings so much meaning to your life. Yeah, I just I think it's part of it is like just having people do things that they didn't think they could do themselves, like like making people believe in themselves or in or in a system or just see people do something that they really want to do but was never allowed to do. Or like I said, when I've coached, I've coached a guy that's in the NFL, was in the NFL for years. He was easy to coach. He was easy Mm -hmm. to coach. You know, like he, the kid was a phenomenal athlete and I've coached kids who probably should have never played. And I ended up making them starters because they worked, they worked hard and they earned it, you know, but you see them go from a kid who came the first day of practice and couldn't even get his pads on right to, by the time he graduates, the guys in, you know, all league, you know, and that is just, that's so rewarding to me when you, when you, have faith in a kid who you see something in them that nobody else does. And the kid buys into you and then he's working and he's working hard and you see the satisfaction that he gets and how it changes his life. You know, like uh, my goal when I took over the program at River City was to have 99 or over 95% of our kids make grades, which we had never even been close to that. And the last year I finally got my whole team. I had one kid that didn't make grades, got hurt. And then he stopped playing, but everybody else on the team made grades. I had two kids two years in a row get a D1 scholarship. We've never had that happen in my school's history. And those kids to this day still thank me for it. Their parents thank me for it, you know. And uh, that's the kind of stuff that just, to me, is just, 
it, it's you can't put a price on that, you know, because with me coaching, I wasn't making hardly anything, you know, but yeah. I just loved it. It was for my school, for my city, you know. Um, it, it just was just I, I, I mean, I tell people like I, I want nothing to do with football now because I spent so much time in, out of my life uh, for them to get rid of me just like that after what I think was a big, I had a big impact on our program. Uh, doesn't sit well with me, but um, uh, other uh, other than like the players, I I. I used to have that coach now. I'll help them out once in a while. Uh, I really would rather not be involved in the football aspect of it. I want to get back into training wrestlers. But um, it just to this day when I still see old players that they just write, hey, coach, what's up, man? Give me a hug and show me their kids and stuff and um, introduce me to their families. And still, like, on my birthday, they give me shouts out and stuff. And uh, it's just so it's just, it's just so awesome, man, so for that to, to have to know you've affected so many lives. You know, and that they still they still thank you for stuff you did for them years ago. You know, is yeah. uh, it's pretty amazing to me. You know, yeah. Well, that's that's awesome, and you know, that's the thing is that you never know when something you do is going to affect somebody's life, especially in a coaching position. You know, for all you know, some of those kids, if you weren't around, would have had nobody. You know what I mean? You, yeah. you know, the, the, you never know when one day something you say is going to change somebody's life. And I think it's yeah. pretty cool that you've kind of dedicated your life. You know, yeah, maybe you didn't, maybe you didn't make a lot of money or you haven't made a lot of money. Maybe you are paycheck to paycheck, but I'd say you're a pretty rich man considering what you've, what you've done in your life. You know? Uh, yeah. Like I, I tell everybody all the time, like I, is I, one of my, uh, so my son Titus had his friend his name's Austin. Great, great kid. He was, he had gotten his he had graduated high school early of course he's a freaking genius but he was he was um, studying to get his real estate license when he was in like high school uh mm -hmm. he passed all the courses and everything but couldn't take the test because he wasn't 18. took it mm -hmm. when he was 18 passed it the first time i mean the kid's a freaking just a smart kid so now he's a real estate agent and i remember him telling titus one day titus was telling him dude what you know why are you doing all the studies like let's go to the gym let's do this and because he was he was a football player of mine but he wasn't like as good as titus you know titus was mm -hmm. obviously so you know he he, he had told titus he's like well you know i don't want to be like your dad and not have nothing when i'm when i'm older and like titus was so offended that he said that you know and and and, and the kid austin like i don't think he meant nothing by it he's like look at your dad he works his ass off and he lives in an apartment and then uh he and titus is like yeah but he's raising three fucking kids he runs a wrestling company he runs you know, it runs the fo football program. He, he's going to, to school to get his degree, his master's degree, and just naming off all the stuff that, that, that I was doing, you know. And uh, he was like, and Titus tells him, uh, do you know how many people respect my dad, whether it's wrestling, football, or, or just in this community? And he kind of went off on the kid, and I was like, I didn't mean it like that, I didn't mean it like that. But, uh, you know, that's the kind of stuff that, like, you can't really put a price on the, for the lives you affect. And that kid, Austin, like, to this day, he still messages me. And we talk and stuff, and he's doing so great. Like he's, like I said, he's selling million dollar homes now, you know. But uh, it, it's just like the way people perceive you sometimes isn't the way you really are. Like I said, I don't have a lot of things in my life, you know. Like, I was looking living with my mom right now because after COVID hit, I moved in here, you know. And so like I'm not like I'm this you know rich baller and stuff like that, you know. I'm getting rid of my debt right now, I'm trying to do things the right way this time. But uh, sure. I, I every time I go to a wrestling show and all these guys just run up and to, to just say hi to me. You know, I tell the story, and I don't like to mark out for myself, but, you know, I was went to watch Titus uh, at Gorilla one time, uh, Battle of Los Angeles. He's wrestling Daniel Garcia. So I've known Garcia for a while. Actually, like one of, I'm one of his fucking biggest fans. And uh, we were just sitting there talking, and, and all of a sudden I look over, and some guy taps me on the shoulder. And I look over, and it's fucking Darby Allen. 
And I'm like, hey, mm. what's up, bro? And he's sitting there, and I hate to use the term market now, but he's just putting over all the stuff I did in Oregon because he was a, a young wrestler when or uh, just a fan when I was wrestling over there. He's like, oh, my God, man, I thought that was you, blah, blah, blah. And he's putting me over huge. And so we're just sitting there talking for about 30 minutes about me and the matches he saw. I remember when you did this. I remember when you worked this guy. And, man, I binge watch Portland Uncut all the time and just putting me over. And I'm like, dude, you're about to go to the Muda Bye Bye show and team with Sting and Muda. And you're telling me about <laughs> me? You know, <laughs> But, like, I would have never known that he used to watch me when he was in Seattle and Portland area and he was a fan of mine. You know, and um, I, I kind of knew he knew me from Nick, from Nick Wayne, because Nick told me. But I hear him sitting there, guys, guys, like one of the biggest stars in the world. And he's asking me about my career, yeah. you know, and I'm like, and I'm like, man, I, so I don't have a lot of money. stuff, But like that is more to me than any of this stuff, you know, than, than mm-hmm. anything. Like I could because for me, it's like I spent my whole most of my adult life in the wrestling world. So for guys like that to give me credit and respect, that means a lot to me. You know, when he didn't yeah. have to, he doesn't have to t- yeah. come say hi to me. When Johnny Morrison does a shoot interview and he mentions me as his trainer, like he doesn't have to do that. You know, yeah. same way Timothy Thatcher when he when he mentions me on on, on uh, his these podcasts and stuff. How hey, he's like boss is the greatest man I ever in my life. So stuff like he doesn't have to do all that. You know, but they do it because it's a respect thing. And so like, if I don't have money, then the respect is way more than I could ever get in a payout. You know, like it's just, it means like for God's sakes, I went to uh, Oasis wrestling with Salem and they booked me in a death match and they were so excited that I agreed to do it. Like they were like honored that I, and I'm like, this is like Jacob fought too, you know, (laughs) they were just sitting there like just so fucking honored that I would consider working for them. And I was like, guys, of course I love you guys. Of course I would. And we went on there and had a great match and, so I go to these shows and these guys just give me all this credit and respect. Like, man, it means a lot. You know, it just means a lot when yeah. people look forward to seeing you and thank you for what stuff you've done. You know, and, and I always tell these people, like, you know, I, I somewhat have an ego, I guess, in wrestling. But, like, I don't usually put myself over because the boys do it for me. You know, yeah. and that and, and when I say that, I don't mean to be egotistical, but I say it out of um, admiration for the guys. Because, you know, they don't have to say these things about me. And they do. They go out of their way. And it's not like I'm running a bunch of shows and they're you, they're saying it just to me to get them booked. You know, like, they're all doing yeah. bigger things than me. Like, Chupi won't do an interview where he doesn't mention my name. Mm-hmm. You know, Flacco, he won't do an interview where he doesn't mention something that I've done for him. You know, and, like, that's the kind of stuff that, man, it just hold, holds in my, in my heart. You know, Paul Sador is the same way. You know, we're yeah. just really good friends. He always mentions me and thanks me for stuff, you know, and it's like, you know, people like that, man, that just always give you credit, you know, and like, I just can't say enough. I mean, when, in my opinion, like they've done more for me, you know, like Paul's one of yeah. my favorite guys to work. You know, I work Paul every day of the week. You know, I love working Paul, you know, uh, but it's just like, that's the kind of stuff, man, that you just, you hold dear, you know, and you know, if, and like, even if I had money, like I would still appreciate that more. You know, yeah. really, I'm not saying I'm broke and I'm penniless, but I mean, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm not, well, I'm not living large either, you know, but, but I can tell you, you know, this is something that I learned and I I'm just tell you this just because, you know, we, we've talked a lot about money and I've had other people, like I just posted a podcast today that, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, I, I kind of went off on a listener who was like, oh, you know, how are you, you know, you're doing financially well. And I have been financially blessed. That's true. But, you know, my whole life, <clears throat> I, I thought to myself. Because my my I said that before on the podcast, my parents they always fought about drugs and money. That was it. That was all they ever fought about. 
I mean, it was always about, it was mostly about money. And so I just grew up thinking, well, well, if I did ever do drugs and I have all the money, it's not going to be any problems. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, uh, and so, yeah, like I, I went to law school. I worked my, I mean, I worked my butt off, man. I, I, you know, I am proud of the fact that I, it took me about nine and a half years to get through school and it was like full-time work full time. I mean, you're doing, you're doing it yourself, but it's like full-time school, full-time work, you know, raising kids, doing all that stuff. And, uh, and then I, I work in 60, 70 hours a week after that. And I got blessed well beyond my measure financially. But what was really interesting to me was as I was coming up, I remember thinking to myself, I was like, well, I had like all these things. I'm like, if I just buy the big house, then I'll be happy. And then I got the house. And then I was like, you know, I always wanted to have a movie theater in my house. So I built a movie <laughs> theater. I put it in my house and I was like, okay. But then I was like, if I had the nice car, that's the next thing. And then it was like, well, if I bought a pinball machine, like I started just thinking yeah. of all these things. You know what though? Every single one of those things were cool for about for about a month. And then it yeah. was on to the next thing. And I realized all of these things were trying to fill a hole that material things couldn't fill. And it wasn't yeah, until I started focusing it on experiences, taking my kids places, doing things with my children. I have more fun. You know, I I look, I, I have a lot of cool stuff. I really do. There's nothing more meaningful to me than grabbing one of my kids, getting them in the car, driving them somewhere, taking them out to eat, even if it's Taco Bell, and just yeah. sitting them down and talking with them for an hour. And I learn more on the drive there and on the drive back about my kids mm. than any other time. And yeah. that's, you know, I just took I just took my my oldest son and his his friend to Next Level Pro on Saturday. And my son hasn't probably been to an indie show since one I ran, probably in 2019, you know? Yeah. And just to sit there with him, you know, as a 16-year-old boy and watching this wrestling and having all these wrestlers come up to me and introduce themselves to me, talk about the podcast, talk about my wrestling, talk about the stuff, you know, that means so much more to me than than the money. You yeah. know what I mean? And so, oh, yeah. so that's why I say to you, like, I, you know, people might talk like that guy, and I think you already know this, that kid might have said something like, "Well, I don't want to be like your dad to have nothing. You don't have, you don't have nothing. You have, you have yeah. a, a a wealth of memories and people who love you that money can't buy. That guy could sell as many million dollar homes as he want. He'll never have that. Yeah, no. you know what I mean. No, I, I definitely, definitely understand that. Like uh, when when I was heavily going with working and school and all that stuff, like I always made time to take the kids to do stuff. You know, like camping trips, fishing, we'd watch Super Bowl parties, WrestleMania parties and all that. And uh, it, it's kind of bad, like honestly bad now, but heartbreaking now that I don't get to do those things with them anymore. You know, mm -hmm. um, Bishop, I could, I could still kind of, and we are supposed to go camping soon, but you know, Titus is so busy doing this stuff. Like we don't, we used to go fishing all the time. We don't do that anymore. Um, mm -hmm. Salem's the same way. We used, we used to go camping and fishing. We don't do that anymore because she's so busy. Uh, you know, so those, those are the things that I, I miss a lot when I was able to do all those things with them because they live with me and we're just able to see them all the time. Now, like if I'm not texting with Titus, I'll run into him at the gym because we work at the same gym. We'll talk for a little bit and uh, once in a while go to a show together, but he's traveling so much now. It's hard to, hard to hang out and do stuff with them. And uh, same thing with Abigail, she's working and then she's got her, her show she's doing out. And if I try to wrestle still, I got a show somewhere I got to do. So uh, those are the things that I miss, but I'll, I'll always have in my heart those, those things with those fun times with them 
and the people that I've met and that I still to this day give me credit. J.R. Kratos is another one who, no matter what he does, he always gives me credit for for being in his life and helping him out, you know, and I, mean, I, could, I could run the list down of, of, of a bunch of people, but um, it's just so, so just means so much to me when people give me just a little bit of respect and not just because they owe it to me, but because they don't have to give me respect and they just choose to, you know, mm-hmm. that's what means a lot to me, you know, and um, I'll, I'll always hold that high in hand, any higher regard more than money. Cause like I said, when I got my settlement, I had a lot of fucking money and mm-hmm. I still long for people fucking, uh, show me the respect, you know? And um, yeah, you know, I, I and like I said, I have a lot of good friends in this business. A lot of people that I've met lately that are really cool. A lot of doing big things, and I have that certain circle that I've known for twenty plus years. That I know if anything happens, that they're on they're on their way to come to come get me or come see me. And uh, when I I had just had that thing with my lungs that I uh, was going on, man, like I had these wrestlers wanting to come drive down here just to see if I was okay and stuff. And man, it just like you know makes me tear up. You know, that these guys are grown ass men doing big things and they want to check in on me to make sure I'm okay. Yeah. You know, just they're just crazy. And even like small things like when I say, like when it's my birthday and I'll have 300 people commenting on my page, happy birthday, boss, and blah, blah. It's just so amazing to me. It's just so amazing to me yeah. that people people just take, even if it's a second out of the day to say, hey, thanks, man. You know, it's just, yeah. that's, that's like, that's why I'll always, you know, not to like say I don't have a lot in my life because I do, but. There's times where I just go back and look at some of the screenshots of people saying good things about me. I had a friend in Oregon who just passed away named Thunder, and I had screenshotted a, a post that he put up thanking me for when I was doing stuff at Portland Wrestling and how I got my shot there and, and for uncut and stuff. And uh, I was just like, man, that's like for him to go out of his way and say that he didn't have to, you know. But that's yeah. the kind of stuff that I really hold dear, you know. And and, and that'll always be my main reward for this business is for anything I do is people just showing me the respect and thanking me. Dude, and that's the thing, man. Like, it's funny. Well, you're talking about your kids in particular. It's hard, man. Like, it's it's so hard when kids start transitioning to adulthood and get busy. Like, my son, I love my son to death. He's 16, almost 17 years old. And, you know, he's a senior in high school. And he's constantly running and having trying to have the best senior year of his life, which I encourage. But it's yeah. hard, man. It's hard when you don't have that little kid who wants to just go everywhere with you and yeah. hang out with you all the time, you know, and it's yeah. okay. Like he's at that spot where he doesn't really need me anymore. And yeah. That's, I mean, he, he does, he needs me, but I mean, like, you know, he's at the spot now where he's starting to become an independent adult, you know? And, yeah. And uh, it's hard, but it's at the same time you get proud of him, you know? Oh yeah. And it's just, yeah. it's great. Let me ask you, uh, I, you know, want to wrap this up with you. So let me ask you a few questions that I, that I ask everybody, what would you say is your number one success in life? Um, probably, probably being a, a father, I would say being yeah. a father. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably the, the most thing I'm successful as being a father. Yeah. Well, your kids love you and that's, and that's awesome. Yeah. And they followed in your footsteps. That says a lot. What would you say is yeah. your, your biggest failure in life and what did you learn from it? My biggest fed would probably be being being too involved, like juggling too many things at once. Mm. Like I said, I was always working two jobs, weekends sometimes. I had my kids uh, going to college, running the whole program, football program in West Sac. I just did, I mean, I had so much stuff going on that I missed, like traveling and things like that, like things that I could have done. Um, I'll, I'll never say that uh, I, I picked being a father over having opportunities. Cause that's just not fair to do to my kids. 
but uh, there was so much, so much of my life was spent running my company and doing all these things that I, I could have moved down to Florida and maybe went to like, or went to like Ohio Valley or something like that. And, and took those steps to, to do bigger things. And I just never did because SPW, my football program, my kids, all that was always more important than me trying to make it in the business as a star, you know? And uh, so I'll kind of always regret not taking that shot. But when I look at my kids and what they're doing, it's not even a, it's not even a thought afterthought. Like I just, uh, they're not, they weren't there. No, no career is worth losing that time with your kids, you know? So that, but it's somewhat of a regret for me to not take another step, you know? Yeah, but you know what? So here's something really interesting. I'll tell you this. I've, I've done a lot of interviews with, with, uh, with you know, guys who have made it now, a couple WWE Hall of Famers, some that have already been, that have already launched and a couple that are coming. And there's one running theme that I hear from these guys. Uh, like I'll point to Tito Santana, which has already been out there. And the one thing that he said, I asked him, I said, uh, if you had to do it over again, would you do it again? And he said, no, I would have done something different. He's like, yeah. because I've missed so much time with my kids. I have a great relationship with them now, but I miss birthdays, Thanksgivings, Christmases, like all these things. And that's a running theme I'm hearing yeah. in these things. And you put so much emphasis on being a father. Like you said, like you might have a little bit of regret, but you know, I have, you, you may not be religious, but I am. And I, I think that things happen the way that they're supposed to. Like I'm the same way. There's sometimes I wonder, I was like, if I hadn't gone on that mission or if I did come back on that mission and, and then went somewhere and trained and got finished when I was 21 and lifted weights and did some things. I mean, six foot seven, 285. I should, yeah. should have been able to make it somewhere. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah. but, but then I would have missed all that time with my kids and I could, yeah. couldn't have, I couldn't have lost that. So here's, no, here's I, something I, 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 I always tell the story about, uh, you know, Titus, uh, when he played football, his, uh, his senior year, cause he, he tore his ACL his junior year. And he had pretty much only played two games. And then he tore his ACL. And he was a phenomenal football player. Mm-hmm. So we we worked our ass off all year. And then that summer, we just were in the gym. I mean, it was probably the hardest I've ever worked out in my life. Just com- me and him competing every day to see who would quit first. <laughs> and uh, he finally got cleared to play his senior year. And this was – we we had – this group that he had, that he was with, that, that age group, I had coached them since they were in, like, you know, sixth grade. Like, I had moved with them all the way up. And we, our plan was – I'm going to coach them when they get to high school because I was already coaching at the high school. And then when they go to varsity, I'm going to coach them up there. And, and, and it panned out that way. Like I was a JV head coach. The head coach got fired. I went up and I head coached coach the varsity. So I was up there coaching with them. So everything planned out. He tore his ACL. The next year we worked our ass off. This is going to be the big year. Some colleges are still looking at him. Week two, he was like second in the area in rushing. Fucking tore his ACL again. Oh. And, uh, and I remember – God, I hate getting emotional talking about these things. Uh, you know, we're taking him off the field and we get him to the ER and, you know, he's, he's in the bed laying there and all this stuff. And then, you know, the, the, we go home and uh, he's, he tells me, he's like, dad, I'm sorry. And I'm like, for what? I go, it's just a game and blah, blah, this and that. And I, like, I'm thinking he's apologizing for getting hurt and not playing that game. And he's like, well, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry because I told you that when I made it to the NFL, you were never going to have to work again a day in your life. Because he knows how hard I worked, you know, my jobs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, that just, like, it's like fucking a knife cutting out of my heart, you know, because here's this kid just lost everything. And he's mm-hmm. uh, sorry that he's not going to be able to take care of me, you know, um, like he like he said he was, you know, that. And I just, like, I'm just like, man, what kind of kid does that, you know? And uh, yeah. I know it's a reflection of, you know, the, the, uh, how close we are and stuff, but you know, for that kid to say that, dude, it's just like, 
man, I'm sitting here, you know, trying to hold it together for him, and he's worried about me. And to this day, that's how he is. You know, that, that's how he is to this day. He says that all the time. Like, man, I can't wait till I get signed, and I'm going to get you there, too, and all this stuff. And I'm just like, dude, just worry about yourself, man. Like, I'll be fine. Like, just watching you succeed and watching Abigail succeed is, like, enough for me. You know, like, my time is done in business, you know. And uh, But that's the way both those kids are. Like, they just always, you know, are, are so thankful for, for – um. The, the stuff we've done together and the sacrifices that we've all made, you know, and it's uh, like, I can't put a, I can't put any price on that, man. Like, you know, the, the way those kids affect me and I affect them is just, it's crazy, man. It's just so fucking crazy. Like, man, I just, like I said, people don't just don't understand it, you know, like the, the, the stuff we've all been through together, you know, and uh, it's just, man, I, like I said, I just can't even put it into words like the, the, um, how much those kids mean to me. You know, they're like, they're like my everything, you know? Yeah. That's beautiful, man. That's awesome. What a, what a cool story. Uh, I got one, I got one last question for you. Um, you've, you've talked a lot about eulogies that you've, that you've given, uh, one day you're going to pass away and you're going to have a funeral and I'm sure it's going to be well attended. What do you hope is the one thing that somebody says about you and your eulogy? Uh, probably uh, it's, there's some things I wish they don't, I hope they don't say, but uh, uh, <laughs> probably, probably just like, you know, um, that they're going to remember me for uh, always being that guy that cared about the business and helped them out, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, just, I've, I've always tried to give people opportunities and make people better, whether that's working for me or going somewhere else and getting better. Uh, but I just, I just hope that they just say that, you know, here's a guy that generally helped me out and always looked out for me. You know, um, yeah. I just, like I said, I, I, I try to not play politics. I try to treat everybody with respect. Um, and I got so many, my wrestling kids, you know, whether it's Chupi, Von Eri, Hayashi, Timmy, Drake, Samurai, Scooter, you know, just all these, all these people that branch off from me that, uh, I, I just hope that they understand that um, we may not talk every day, but I don't, I don't love them any less. You know, they're always going to be mm-hmm. my wrestling kids and my, my wrestling family, you know, mm-hmm. and um, if they, if they ever need anything, they can always call me and know that I'll be there to help them out as, as I know they will be there for me, you know? Yeah. That's awesome, man. This is what I love about having a podcast. I mean, I have known you for what, I mean, that first is so 23 years, April, yeah. 2000, you know, yeah. and I don't think we've ever had a conversation like this before. And that's, it's really yeah. great to get to know you and, and hear about your life, hear about some of the similarities and some of the differences. And, uh, I got to tell you, if I was going to put on NorCal Mount Rushmore together, you would definitely be on it. So thank you, man. That, that means uh, a lot a lot to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's great, and I, I hope I you know I, I hear you're going to hang it up soon, and I just got back into it. I'm I'm hoping that match finally happens, big ugly <laughs> versus. We'll see. We'll see if we get that get that going someday. But anyway, any anyone uh, who's you know, who's been been able to to get through two uh, two old old guys talking uh, this long, I hope you subscribe. We got a lot more fun stuff coming up. Uh, Big Ugly, it's been it's been an absolute honor and privilege to interview you, and I've known you for a long time, and I've got nothing but respect for you. I really do. Thank you, man. So, Same to you, man. I've known you for a lot of years, and you're one of those one of those few guys I actually enjoy talking to when I see them. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Well, we'll talk to you again soon. All right, man. Thank you.